Fingers crossed. Okay, I got a green light. Here's me intro. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Keeping the tandy flame alive We may be mocked, but we'll never stop Cause Coco Talk is rocking the eight big world This is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the tandy color computer. It's time to drop your socks and grab your real-time clocks and let's rock. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome oh. to another episode of Coco Talk. Yes, it is. <laughs> and for a second there, we had uh, Steve. I'm here. Oh, there you are. So I can <laughs> saw you somewhere. <laughs> Those magic Hollywood squares, they move around. I'll take Nick Morota to block. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome, everyone, to the show. And uh, Steve, did you want to take over main hosting duty since you're here now? or? Well, why don't you go ahead and get it started? You know how to introduce everybody. Yeah, and I can make up their names as I go along, so that's cool. Yep. Um, yeah, call me Al. <laughs> don't call me Betty. <laughs> okay, anyway, sure. Hopefully the uh, names don't bounce around too much. I know last week uh, it was shifting all over the place, but we'll just kind of go around and uh, see what everybody's been up to the last week, any new acquisitions, new stuff you've been working on, cool things you've done, starting with Mr. Timberman himself, Ron Delvo. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Uh, I got me a new uh, STC. I got a um, GMC card, which I put in this uh, case. And I haven't gotten it working yet because I haven't downloaded the testing programs. Is there any software made for that yet? For which one? Uh, only, comes on, only comes on cartridge. <laughs> yeah, the, the oh. Farfall Game Master edition is out, but that comes with the Game Master on the cartridge already. So Okay. Uh, Micro, Miro has some uh, videos on doing some programming and stuff uh, if you want to. Yeah. And there's okay. some games in development. Um, I think Steve Bamford's doing one that uh, uses it as well. He's got some demo right. Cool. Man. I've been writing outside in the sun, and uh, we'll have a report on that. And um, just been playing with my toys in my garage. <laughs> what can he ask for? The greatest <laughs> thing. Sounds good. And we'll yeah. get to your retro biting in a little bit later. I know there's been okay. a few people trying it besides yourself too. So we'll kind of right. Whatever these uh, results have been, they've been pretty good, I think, so far overall. Yep, not bad. Mm -hmm. 
Myself personally, I haven't done too much. Um, I've been answering a lot of questions on on Discord and some of the chats. I got my Google VK set up, uh, so I'm starting to work on things there. Go ahead, Ron. Where, do you actually get sun up there? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't tried retrobriting anything yet. <laughs> Good luck with that. That's so like basically, about a week. I'm, I'm starting to work on Dave Phillipson's code because he's been trying to get the uh, Coco VGA, or not the Coco VGA, the uh, Coco Mem Junior 2 meg RAM board for the Coco 1, 2, and Dragon to work with Nitrosine level 2, not level 1. Um, so I just started getting uh, the, I got the code from him earlier this week, and I've just been starting to go through it and trying to figure out you know, how it's working right now. It, it partly boots and then it freezes. So hopefully I'll make some progress in that this upcoming week. But that's about it from me. So on to Mr. Mark Overholzer. Hey, the Apple guy. So uh, I got at uh, CocoFest, I got some little uh, ROM boards from David Ladd. They're actually Mark J. Blair's, but they've been modified. And so I thought I needed to get some uh, some cartridges for them. So strangely enough, uh, Cloud9 had these for a uh, dollar a piece. So I bought 10. Of just Castle of Thergood or just, yes. just cartridges in general? Just uh, Castle of Thergood. Yeah, Thergood. Oh, wow, you're Thergo. an avid collector of that one. <laughs> I'm going to have lots of manuals if somebody wants one. But anyway, so I'm planning on putting little ROM cartridge things there. I need to send one to uh, Qui-Gon. So anyway, that's about the only thing new since uh, last week. So, well, What do you plan on putting in there? Um, well, Qui-Gon actually wanted like HDB DOS. So uh, David actually has, uh, David Ladd actually put together a ROM that has basically Cocoa 1, 2, and 3, as well as RS-232 pack on a 64-K-bit. You know, uh, well, I'd be interested in that. All right. Anyway, I basically just use the jumpers. So whatever cocoa you put it in, you can select which one you want. It's all set up for it. So that'd be great. Excellent. Cool. Next up is Jason Reggert on location at Ham Nation. Did I get right this time? Ham Nation. Ham Nation. I got it wrong. Oh well. Ham Nation. Oh, right. Podcast. You're close. Yeah. At any rate, you 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 found a wicked hall. We're going to go through it in a little bit here too. Uh, any right. other interesting things you've seen there that might be cocoa related or retro computer related? Uh, I, uh, I did see some other Cocoa stuff. It was a, a couple Cocoa 2s, a couple disk drives, a little more than I wanted to pay, so I passed on it. Uh, but um, I did pick up an Atari 600, I believe it is, and uh, a couple of uh, a couple Atari uh, drives, like a 1050, and they're, they're heavy. They're big and heavy. I know that. Like, what is this? Yeah, this is a, a 810. And it's 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 pretty pretty honking big and heavy, but uh, that was uh, and I did I did pick up a uh, a, a uh, like the uh, getting the, the getting started for your Coco Two manual. I picked that up for a couple bucks too, along with a uh, uh, one of these. I think it's a book like how many things you can do with like your Apple Two GS or one of one of those type of books. But, uh, other than the uh, other than the other uh, other stuff that I got that we'll talk about later. Okay, cool. It sounds like to me, and I'm just trying to remember from last year, I think there was more Cocoa-related stuff this year than last year. Is that correct? Uh, absolutely. Um, last year, the only thing I found was a couple books. This is actually the first year at Camvention uh, that I've seen many uh, Cocoa things at all, other than just a couple books in the last uh, quite a few years. And uh, for those who don't know, Ham Hamvention is uh, held uh, near Dayton, Ohio, it's at the Green County Fairgrounds, actually uh, just right outside of a town called Xenia in uh, southwestern uh, Ohio, and it's the, the world's largest gathering of amateur or ham radio uh, enthusiasts, and uh, 
it's actually a three a three day event, and uh, we're on day two today here on Saturday. And they all wear hats like that. You said. Not everyone, but <laughs> just, I, just I, the stylish ones. It snaps down, and everything there. It's, there's a lot of sun because, like this this flea market area that uh, that I found all this stuff, and is a it's a again it's a it's a fairground, so it's a, it's the in infield of a horse track. So it can get it can get a little squirrely, but it's really hot and sunny today. So I'd rather have that than rain. It makes you look Australian, you know. That's not a knife. That's a knife. Well, we get some royalty for that. Hey, you can you can retrobrite something on top of that hat. I should just I should just retrobrite something on top of my car. Yeah. Or if you don't wear the hat, you can retrobrite your head like David Ladd did. But anyway. Uh, now, but when, if I try to retrobrite my head, it just turns red. Ah. Uh, then you'll be going I mean, to the we'll doctor. Get your big hall. It's a, it's an incredible hall. It's actually the title of the show is based on on what he got and for wicked price. But we'll get into that after the introductions are done. Next up is uh, Nick Moroda, and I know you've got some things that happened. Uh, no, it was actually pretty quite weak for me. Not a whole lot happened. Um, <laughs> you want me to talk about it a fair bit now, or a little bit now, and more later? We'll, we'll just do the little coverage right now, and then we'll get into the full details in a bit. But okay, well. The, the the headline is I, I know it's hard to see behind me but I'm running one of the official 512k tester uh, applications which is Donkey Kong so the big news is I've finally left the 128k slums and I've got a 512k um, memory board in my in my in my Coco 3 and that makes me very happy that is very cool we'll get into how you actually did the upgrade yourself too uh, a little, a little help. I get by a little help from my friends. That's a little, uh, little teaser. <laughs> and uh, Steve, you're, I think I'll skip you for now because as soon as we've done the introductions, I'll hand the baton off to you so you can just kind of carry on right at that point. Very good. I also give you a chance to finish eating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now that these things are bouncing around here, hopefully I'm not going to miss anybody. But anyway, uh, next up on the on the list is Brian, the music man, Schubring. What have you hello, been up to last week? Hello. Not too much really going on here. It was uh, out car shopping and that uh, for my mom. And turns out my sister's going to do it down in Georgia. So I don't have to drive down, thank God. And now looking for a vehicle for myself to replace my uh, slightly aged uh, Kia. Okay. Next up, who just popped in recently here, uh, the madman himself. Simon Jonasson, I know you've been uploading some uh, bits of your source code from your Coco 3 demo from the fest here over the last week. Uh, anything else been going on, Coco-wise? Mm, not a lot. Not a lot. Taking Just a bit of a break and getting your acclimatized back to the, your time zone again? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm climatized again. That took about a week. So, But, yeah, I'm... I'm good now, so I just thought, well, I promised people I'd upload some source code, so I was like, okay, I'll just do it. I've just got to comment a lot of it, you know? Okay, cool. Yeah, I've, I, I did, haven't had a chance to look at too much of the source code yet myself, but uh, I, I plan on perusing it a bit more detailed a little bit later. Yes, a lot of interesting concepts in it, but uh, <laughs> some of you some of you will be, be pulling your hair out with all the self-modding, but that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up, uh, John Strong, who just also popped on recently. What's your last week of Cocodum been like? Uh, actually, I was able to start to do a little bit of coding and looking at some stuff. Uh, not too much, but uh, uh, been a lot going on here. We've just put in an offer for a house that's been accepted, so we've been 
swamped with paperwork with that. But, uh, How uh, long before you move? Well, if it goes through, it should close June 28th. Everything goes well. And is that a bigger place where you'll have more room for your printers and all your cocoa stuff? Yes, it's a, it's, it's a bigger place. We're, we'll be our own place. Uh, it's in a little town, and uh, I was hoping a little bit more country but area, but uh, it's a small town. I've got a garage, an insulated garage, which is great for northern Michigan. Ron, you're going to have competition. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, actually, uh, you have an antenna tower there. Okay, which I definitely noticed. Uh, I've been to Hamvention a couple times. I haven't been at the new location. And I was actually thinking about trying to make it this year. And uh, with this coming up, it's like, okay, we got to keep on the money we can for for the move. So Okay, so for, we should expect a bit of a pause on your, your cocoa, but just because you're getting ready for the move, and you actually got to do the physical move itself. But after that, you'll have more room to work and hopefully a bit more time. Yes, to... yes. And uh, so I'm actually back working on my tools some this week, uh, adding some features. Um, it just, you know, kind of came like it's a cool idea. I had the idea of something I want to do with it about using it to promote games. So I actually put a feature that I can enlarge my graphics several times right in the in the tool and that way I can export it if I want to do a print as you guys know I did a poster for a bomb squad and uh, it allows me to resize the graphics right in my tool and uh, do that and see how it's going to look so uh, I can blow up the sprites and everything and you know be able to arrange that so uh, I think it's going to be kind of nice because uh, I have an idea for one of the games and works that it'd be really nice to be able to take the green graphics, enhance it just a little bit, but still keep it the eight bit look and the same, you know, limited color range. And, cool. We'll have to get a demo of that once, once you, you've got it all kind of cleaned up and ready to go. Yeah. It's, it's still running uh, some things a little slow because it's doing some things that, uh, you know, when you're doing, I've upgraded it. So things, not necessarily sloppy coating, but coating that didn't need to be real tight. Now it's got to go back and be tightened up and stuff, you know, to, to handle the, the differences of, you know, I had it so we could go a 64 by 64 so I could handle sprites, but really didn't plan to use that as any kind of like a tile. And now I can blow up tiles up to 64 by 64 if I want to be able not to use in the game, but to be able to then you know, create uh, sections from that graphics to export for other purposes. Okay, well, we'll, we'll definitely keep us abreast on that uh, as we go here and as your move goes through. I'm sure you're excited about that. Uh, next up, oh, now they've all bounced around again, so I gotta figure out who I'm looking <laughs> here. Um, who did I miss? Nick Morantes. G'day, everyone. Um, yeah, uh, not too much to report except uh, I uh, I was going to try um, um, putting my uh, doing the retro bright thing with my multi-pack and putting it out in the sun but we haven't had too much sun lately so I thought oh what the hell I, I decided to spray paint it so my multi-pack <laughs> was my multi-pack was uh, very yellow when um, attached to my Coco 3 and I was, it was just getting me down I thought that looks that looks wrong so I uh, used some uh, paint that was um, recommended by 
Ed Snyder, actually, some, I think, heirloom white, a Rustoline brand white paint, spray painted the multi-pack, yeah, and it looks good. Um, so, How does it match up with the cocoa? It's pretty close. My cocoa actually is a, it's one of those cocos, those late model American Powell-made cocos where the plastic doesn't yellow. It's a different type of plastic uh, that they used on these last batch of cocos here in Powell cocos anyway. So it's still white as the day it came out of the box. So it's very white. So the multipacks, the color that I've chose for the multipack is a slight, very slight yellow white, a creamy color, which probably suited most of the um, older cocos better. So it's not 100% a match. But it's still pretty good. It's better than what it was, and I'm I'm, I'm happy with it. So I oh, now good. have at least something white. The only thing other than news is I've done a bit bit more work on Gunstar. I've now got the aliens uh, at least flying on the screen. So we might be able to just show off a, a small part of the uh, share out uh, a screen of, of that during the game on segment. Cool. Look forward to seeing that. Next up is Al Hartman. As in, I don't think you've been on for a bit, so welcome. And you got a new oh, headset, which is really cool. Right. Got a new headset because and, uh, Stevie uh, was saying that when he transcodes the audio for the podcast, my voice was very low. Yeah, actually, there's been a few people that it was happening to recently, so I'm glad you, you got the upgrade. to. Yep, got a nice Logitech headset very inexpensively on eBay. Oh, nice. And I'm cool. sitting here with my Diet Dr. Thunder, no water. Dr. Thunder. A, yes, it's the Walmart version of Diet Dr. Okay. Pepper. Oh, it's a knockoff Dr. Pepper. Raising the can <laughs> in tribute to David Ladd. Other than any, that, any, no, any new Cocoa acquisitions or anything this week, past week, or a couple weeks? No? Not, not Cocoa acquisitions, although a new game was released for the Commodore 64, which I downloaded. Reminded me very much of Nick's um, Gunstar. Uh, what game was that? Um, it's called Neutroid. Yep, I've got that too. Yeah, it is very um, gun starish. Yeah, Neutron. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very good. Now, did they, they? Did you? Are you copying off them, or did you? Or did they copy off you because your blog's been running for so long? <laughs> I don't know. It's the <laughs> first time I saw that. But I mean, it's just another vertical shoot 'em up. So yeah, yeah, they're probably just both. Yeah, inspired. it's basically like Zevious and stuff you know, from way, way back. So it's a it's a common genre of it's. Of yeah, it. yeah, so. that's right. So I mean, it's the 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 different games as such, you know. But it's and uh, actually that that briefly touches on what our main discussion topic will be. Later yeah, on. so we Maybe can talk about all that later. We'll leave that for later. Yeah, that hey, definitely. Thanks, thanks Al. And uh, next up is uh, David Ladd, Sir David Ladd, Lord of the Floppy. What have you been up to the last week? Oh, let's see here. I've been Besides doing breaking. things. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> So, yeah, the last week I uh, was doing some testing and soldering of the uh, ESP board that uh, that I have for the um, bit banger for drive wire or modem. So I've been playing with the new, new firmware, um, well, testing the modem in place of the ESP link. And so far that's been working, and plus I like the new board layout really well on that um and then of course the uh slight alteration to the ps2 mouse adapter um 
using a different microcontroller for another feature that um, been working on that you thought would be useful. So just working to see how that will work out, but that's pretty much it so far. Cool. I know Mark and I are both looking forward to that useful part, as you put it. <clears throat> uh, next up is Dumpster for, uh, sorry, Boys in Tech. Uh, <laughs> Lord Bieski. And what have you been up to the last week? Oh, been doing a bunch of stuff. I'm just right now in shock and awe just how organized and talent, uh, the, the, the talent on this uh, show has uh, risen. <laughs> and just from one absence, that's all it yeah, took. Yeah, one absence, that's all it took. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, ab did you say abscess? <laughs> absence. Absence, yeah. There oh, okay. Uh, anyway, no, I've been working on a few hardware things. Uh, I got a new ROM burner in. Uh, well, I had it for a while, and I've been playing with it. And uh, I'm now able to program GAL chips. Uh, so now I can do the MPI upgrades uh, oh, cool. on the 3024s. And uh, I also found a source for the cassette relays. Um, you know, those things go out once in a while, and they're, those relays are really hard to find, but I found a a source and I bought a bunch of them so uh, if anybody has any broken cassette you know uh, cassette relays on their Cocos I can uh, actually uh, send you uh, the the place where I bought them or you can you know buy them from me one or the other so uh, and just working on uh, new new uh, hardware stuff and that's about it cool I should mention too the the cassette relay. There's one game in particular for the Coco One and Two by Whitesmith. It was Battle Stations. I think it was a battleship style game, but they actually oh. have a little uh, yeah. Morse code sequence at the beginning of the intro screen. It actually uses a cassette relay to click like it's doing Morse code. So if you want a good test to see if yours is about to die on you, that's probably a good game to try. I forgot about that. I thought that was so cool back in the day. Yeah. Shock shocked me the first time because I wasn't expecting it. It wasn't sound from the speaker. It was sound from inside the computer itself. I'm going, what the heck? It's like, what, what got loose? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought maybe the program had crashed. You know, it was just, you know, random clicks like you sometimes get. Anyway, the last person I've got on the panel here, unless somebody else bounced into the top here, is uh, Mr. Grant Leedy with our now infamous picture of the five people trapped on the elevator. Because, you know, he doesn't want any of us to live that down. Mr. Grant. <laughs> Hey, how's it going, guys? How you guys doing today? Hey, not too bad. No, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're, you've been so busy with your chasing tornadoes and stuff here, you probably have not done much Cocoa stuff last week. Unfortunately not. No, I'm out here in the in the central Kansas right now, so <laughs> it's been yep. tornado, yeah, tornado season. got swept up in the tornado and like landed somewhere in a farmer's field that you could just come <laughs> grab stuff from? Yeah, I'll keep my eye out for that if that happens, but unfortunately that usually doesn't happen very often. It's a <laughs> twister. It's a twister. If you run across a scarecrow, scarecrow, it's okay. Yeah, Grant, exactly. didn't you, didn't you really, uh, uh, witness and video a tornado like the last couple of days? Yes, actually, I did. I, I got the one in uh, McCook, Nebraska, that happened last night, and it looks like it might have been an EF two tornado up there. Mm. So that was actually one of my my. I was only about a quarter to half a mile away from it. I'll get the video uh, posted up on Discord for that later today. So that's two out of what's the scale? Five. Five, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, zero to five. So, but yeah, so that's that was a good find. So, I think uh, zero is just like, wind, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. It's just like a little blow, like a dust devil. <laughs> so, 
But yeah, I'll get some. I got some pictures, and I'll put them up on the Discord channel if you guys can look at them. I got the uh, the Denom- Dominator with the vehicle where they drive the, the vehicle into a tornado. I got to see that yesterday too. So, but uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Cool. Glad you're still here with us. <laughs> <laughs> luckily, luckily, I chase with a team of guys, so I'm not out here by myself, and we're really safe, and uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Really safe? That might be questionable. <laughs> well, just a comment know? on that you know these guys are doing pictures and stuff but we just recently had a situation uh that came across on ham radio news where a team of spotters actually was able to warn a town and get people to take shelter real quick so it it does provide a very useful for the uh community around them yeah it's also good for scientific research too to get you know get better predicting them and stuff too so but but it's not very useful when Gran is around. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of a distraction. But uh... hey, I am I am certified, and I am a. Sto- uh, a, a oh, you're certified all right. So. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Curtis. No, so, so, so so better. <laughs> what time do we have to check him back in? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> to take off that funny jacket with no sleeves. Yeah. It's so, like when I saw the end of use uh, page, and I saw it said Dave committed. I said, Yeah, it's about time. <laughs> <laughs> So, Thanks, so, guys. Thanks a lot. So, have we said <laughs> hi to uh, Brian and John yet? Uh, Brian, we did. Uh, okay. John, we yeah. We, we okay. Said, I might have been so, distracted. the last one up here, and definitely not the least, because he's the, the host of the show today, is uh, Mr. Steve Bjork, and I'll be passing the baton off. I will mention, just so you know, uh, Jason wants to do a bit of a report on Hambenchen, and he wants to do it at, near the beginning of the show here because his battery's going to run out or something silly like that. Oh, I thought we'd just wait a little bit so that his battery would die in the middle of his thing. (laughs) It's more dramatic that way. Did Mark B have anything to say? (laughs) Um, Well, I did have a little. I do do have an. Oh, sorry, I may have missed him because he's off in the in the bottom. bottom. Yeah, Yeah, I'm in the bottom of the squares. So I did have an acquisition this week. Uh, uh, Got in the uh, 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 boomerang. Got installed and all working good. The boomerang E2 or the regular boomerang? Yeah, the E2. Okay. Nice. So cool. too big. And uh, ease of use recognizes it. Yep, it does. <laughs> Imagine that. Did you play our Coco Talk song all the way through? Um, I don't think I have that. You can. It's on, it's on the EOU, so yes, you do. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'll have to look for it. Go in the sound directory. You can play the whole thing. Yeah, okay. It's about 1.6 meg. And, and you have to sing along. It's mandatory. Yep. You don't have to sing along poorly like Stevie does, but you do have to sing along. Well, why don't we go ahead and get started with Jason, have him talk about what he saw at the Ham Fest. Remember, we have Coco users, not Ham users out there, okay? <laughs> right, right. And I am live here from Hamvention. Uh, kind of out in the flea market parking area right now, but... Uh, yeah, we'll keep it cocoa um, and retro. I did. Uh, I picked up some uh, good uh, good hauls this uh, this time. Again, Hamvention's the world's uh, largest gathering of ham radio enthusiasts, as I like to call it, or amateur radio enthusiasts. And uh, I am one, as as uh, other ham users. Or I, actually, I actually did talk to a couple people that were cocoa users or knew knew about the show today. And uh, fella said he had did some uh, soft ham software programming. Uh, back in the day to run some ham radio equipment. So that was a pretty interesting guy to talk to. And he had heard of the show, so that was pretty cool. But uh, uh, what I am 
how hard yeah. did they laugh when you mentioned Coco Talk? Oh, he's like, I've, I've heard of that. Because I, I mentioned that I'd gone to Coco Fest. He's like, they're still having that. I said, yes. It's the, uh, tw- it's, I believe, the 28th annual last Chicago Coco Fest. So he was he was happy to hear that that was uh, happening. So uh, that was good stuff. But um, And the whole reason a lot of these conversations started, because I found some items out in the, park, or out in the uh, flea market area here and uh, got one... Uh, Got uh, got one heck of a deal, and uh, I'll just go ahead and change the camera and uh, show show you some of this. Uh, I acquired this yesterday, so it's in the back of my car now. But uh, I got this Coco One, nicely loved. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's the original well, black plastic underneath, not the later white grayish plastic. And, and it has some type of aftermarket keyboard. And when I originally Mark Data Products, Mark Data Products, thank you. When I originally saw it, this was all that was on the table, and it said complete cocoa system, fifty dollars. I'm like, okay, and this is all I saw. I went, man, there was actually a few keys missing, and uh, the fellow wasn't there. Uh, it was his buddy watching his stuff. So I'm like, okay, well, I can come back. And then he showed up while I was still there looking at it. I'm like, yeah, fifty dollars for this. I'm, like, I'm looking at it. There's, I guess, this seems to be the reset switch here on the front because it's just a momentary. Um, because if I look at the back here. I see some extra, extra things there. The composite looks like here. Yeah. Uh, and that's my best guess. And there's a cord running out where the reset button should be, and it terminates at a. It's a. Oh, it's wrapped around here, but it's a, just a, just an R, RCA connection. But um, maybe that's his RF out now, and the other one is the audio video. I'm not sure. Uh, that that is, I you know I should have asked the guy. I, I didn't I didn't think about it, but most likely, a, one of the connectors is color. And the other one is black and white. Oh, that could be too, yeah. Oh, there's the Atari trackball I picked up, but that's not really cocoa related. Um, it looks yellow. You might have to leave it in the sun. Oh, yeah, the middle's yellow. I might have to. I'll just go ahead and sit this out in the sun here. Uh, I'll sit it on the roof. There we go. Um, or you can just put a new cue ball in. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. But can you get cool those a nuclear green? I don't know. Cool thing was, he said, I have this whole bin of stuff here. It all goes with it. And he starts pulling out this bin of stuff, and there's a, a disc manual uh, for the FD501, the uh, MC6809 cookbook. Uh, this, I believe, is some type of OS9 manuals here. Um, Probably OS9 level one, I'm guessing. Yeah, those are level uh, one. Either. Yeah, oh, there it is, OS9 multi-programming operating system. So that's pretty cool. Hey, dig a little further, here's a, Here's a disc controller. I'm like, okay, great. And uh, of course, we got the audio <laughs> analyzer. Well, love too. That's worth fifty bucks alone. That's worth fifty bucks. And uh, this uh, mystery board here, which we kind of think maybe has multiple ROMs, I have yet to have a chance to check it. But um, very cool. Looks like it was probably uh, home etched or yep. back in the day. It looks. Um, that looks that's pretty cool that's that's neat in its own but then on top of it uh they, he, pull, he pulls out an expat Ooh, and those are rare so that's that's a good find and yeah. i've never well over 50 bucks just by themselves yeah uh, that's kind of what i was thinking i've never even owned one of these. and uh, it has this i don't know if this was something they made or what there's a cardboard thing kind of what's float. your address there coco man <laughs> uh, An alarm code. It's, um, it's uh, one two three Fake Street. 
Yeah. Any, Where, any where's your conference right now? Um, my, my offer still stands. I'll pay $60 for the whole thing. That gives you a $10 profit. I think that's oh. fair. And he'll throw in shipping, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think this has some kind of ROM cartridge that goes, it cooks into it, and, and then there's the, uh, the light pen here. There we go. And um, that's, so that, that's pretty pen. cool on its own. And Just then... I'm not sure what I'm not familiar with this. It says music on it, but there's a ribbon cable running out of it. So probably a custom made pro. It's probably some kind of custom made uh, PC board in there, and you just yeah. use the cartridge. Yeah, probably. Or it says top. Oh, there's a it says top here on the uh, one uh, connector, and then there's uh, something. Else. I bet that's you that's a floppy board? controller. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Actually, it looks wider. It looks more like IDE, but. Mm-hmm. I will have to investigate that. That's um, you'll have to count the pins later. Yeah, absolutely. We will. This will, you know, this will make some nice. When I get back home, this will uh, make well, some first uh, nice. Connector uh, looks like a poor man's uh, ROM pack Y cable. Yeah. Oh, that could be. Could be. Um, and uh, I got a cassette cable. Um, Are you going to clean up that P, uh, the case on that uh, computer? I, I don't know oh, what. Spiral bound. Nice. Yeah, I got a spiral phone, uh, quick reference guide, pretty cool. Um, there's the uh, there's the controller for an FD502. Um, and uh, what do we got here? We have a uh, another another disc controller. Uh, what is that? A 263022. Oh, that's the original one. Yeah, that, that needs a Coco One 12 volts or the multi-pack. All right, now well, we got that. Um, and we got a RS232 cartridge, well well loved. Um, Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'll take that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure you will. Uh, and then, what was, you, what was your address again? Yeah, uh, one two three Fake Street. And then we got uh, we have an FD five zero two. That's a double sided drive. Oh, yeah, double sided drive. Yeah, I don't need your address. I just need your call letters. <laughs> <laughs> just, just just the geolocation of your car right now. So when you go back to Hamvention, yeah. we can uh, help your car out. Yeah, help. Oh, yeah, help it, clean it out. Reduce the weight. And I got this. Uh, well, I got a Black Beauty joystick here, and it's uh, it's oh, the original silver handle one too. Yeah, I can silver handle it yeah. here. Uh, I never had one where I could see see, see down in there like that. But uh, yeah, uh, no, no, you can actually unscrew the top and use it as a thumb based one. I have buttons. If you lost the button, I have buttons. Oh, very good. Oh, good. I know the button. I have to fix the button on one of mine. I don't know how. Ooh, that's an actual Tandy case. Actual Tandy case. It's a lot of coming apart. There's a lot of threads there, but um, and this is a Tandy portable disk drive, which I, I assume this is for like the Model 100, I believe. Yes, Correct. it is Model 100, Model 102. And it's got some. And there's some three and a half. Uh, you could probably sell that on eBay and get your money back for all your purchases. Um, yeah, that's. I would have too. to look. Uh, this is something I'm not familiar with either, so it's uh, very, very possible. I'm making a mess in the back, but when I'm done here, I'll pack it all up again. And um, there were a couple binders in here. I think some of this is oops, upside down back here. Um, uh, 6809 Flex Adaptation oh. Guide. So that's. Um, is that the Frank Hogg Flex, or is that from uh, Spectral, or which one? Technical system. Oh, TSC. Okay. Yes. 
Looks like there's several manuals in this uh, binder here. I'm looking. Hey, uh, yeah, go go further in that manual and and just open it up. I, I, it looks like it looks like tech tips or something like that. Uh, just keep going. Those aren't it. Uh, debug package. Okay. Really hadn't uh, gone through a lot of this important notice. Uh, Pascal user's manual. There's a. Yeah, wasn't here. wasn't TSC the main manufacturer of Flex? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think they were. And then they licensed it to other people to port it to specific machines. Uh, there is still something inside that case. Oh yes, yes here, there is. Storage unit, storage uh, holder. Yeah, yeah. There's, still, there's still there's wait there's more. Oh. Uh, and then finally, I got another book here. This looks like appears to be a, a photo. A photocopied manual for a, a C compiler. For yeah, that's the OS9 C compiler. Yeah, so. Ooh, somebody pirated some software. As this, as this gentleman is pa unpacking this coach, he pulls this out, and I couldn't open my wallet fast enough. <laughs> An original gray multipack. Yeah, hey, uh, what hey, is and this? I, and the, I uh, can get you the upgraded PAL chip for it. 263024. So yeah, I don't a have low a serial number. Oh, is it? What's the serial number? Three thousand eight or something. Yeah, that's a low serial number. Oh. How does split? I I don't know how many multi packs were made though, so I don't know if that's really low or not. How, how does the upgraded PAL chip affect operation with a Cocoa One or Cocoa Two? Uh, it doesn't do anything one, for the Cocoa One and Two. There's one program Ron mentioned it recently <clears> that doesn't work right. Cocoa, on Cocoa One and Two. Yeah. Cocoa okay, Mac. I wasn't aware of that. I know it, I know it screws up with the gimme and, and some of the I.O. mapping with Cocoa 3, which is why you're right. supposed to upgrade. The Cocoa Max controller doesn't work in it. Jason, just do yourself one favor. Before you plug it in, open it up and check the capacitors. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I or loose things that might be... Or, or plug it into Grant's computer, then then you're okay. <laughs> Thanks. I don't, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to blow anything yeah, up Yeah, plug it, plug it into an elevator. <laughs> Just jump up and down in the elevator, right? Nothing could go wrong. But, yeah, uh, we'll be interested hey, to see what that Cocoa uh, One looks like when you open it up too. I will because it's it's heavily it's modified. It's definitely modded, that'll yeah. Be, that'll be, that'll we just got confirmation from James Jones in the uh, the chat here that TSC was the original manufacturers of Flex, so that's the original manual from the people that created it. Oh wow! Excellent. Did you look at the serial number on that Cocoa? The serial number on the Cocoa. I I didn't look at the serial number. Uh, see here. Uh, it obviously had the badge, the 4K. It'll take them a moment. It's uh, underneath the pile. <laughs> 28013. Hey, uh, Cocoa Man, I will be uh, visiting uh, Ohio on Monday while you're at work. <laughs> I'll, ha I'll have this. I'll have this equipment to, uh, transferred to a secure location. <laughs> Which the bottom line is you made out like a bandit. Grant Levy's question. Did he include the tote? He did. He wasn't going to initially, and I said, "How am I supposed to carry this?" But yes, he did. He, I did throw in the tote. So, did you have to chip an extra five bucks, quote unquote, shipping and handling for the tote? Or no, uh, luckily, you know, there's actually it's not that good of a tote. There's actually a hole in it. So, but luckily, a couple fellows I know had a flea market spot just right down from there, and I said, "Oh, can I go ahead and just leave this with you guys for a while?" And then. I had taken a, a shuttle that day, and I, I do not want to have to 
haul this all the way across the fairgrounds and then take the shuttle back. So I said, how much to deliver it to my hotel? And uh, actually, I met, met up, we met up with them uh, later for dinner and uh, just uh, got everything then. And uh, so it was, it was a lot of fun here. I mean, I've, I've seen some other things, but that's, I, I think all the cocoa stuff's gone now. That's, um, that's like a day one thing here. Cool. Yeah, but it's definitely a better haul than you had last year, I have to say. Absolutely. I think uh, last year I just got a couple books for Marco. Yo, thank you very much, by the way. How's the oh, food I'm there? Glad to uh, well, the only food I've had here is some pizza. I don't, uh, it's a lot of the, uh, the uh, you know, your typical fair, your typical fair fair. <laughs> How was the Rax? <laughs> oh, Rax was excellent. <laughs> Any tornadoes in the area? <laughs> no. no tornadoes no severe weather we had we had weather um we had some uh, storms earlier i uh, made it a little muddy in the flea market um uh yesterday but today the c conditions are great we have we have uh, i can walk over here to the flea market here and uh you know, condition, conditions are great uh, there is a uh, an uh, asphalt uh, aggregate laid down here in the uh in the flea market, if I uh, I'll flip the camera around, you can see that there's, uh, you know, the, the first year they had this, it was just all mud, it was all grass, and it got very muddy very quickly. But Well, uh, there might be a tornado at your house, and I might have to do what Curtis said and pick up a bunch of cocoa equipment in the field out there beside your house. Oh, is that how that's going to work? <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, He's going to be there to catch it all. Okay, Jason, Jason, I feel really generous. I'm going to up my offer to $61. Final. Wow. $61. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Is that an offer I can't refuse? Is that what throw, that is? Throw in free yeah, shipping. Throw in free shipping. He cranked throw the profit up to 11. <laughs> I don't know. With shipping, I don't, I don't think that's going to fit in a flat rate box. But <laughs> yeah, but, but you can keep the tote. Oh, I can keep the tote. The tote with the crack in the hole in it. Well, that that sounds awesome. But here we are, Hamvention Flea Market. It is a horse track, as you can see the uh, the grandstands there behind me. And if I make my way down this aisle, see if. Uh, Did you leave your trunk open there, Jason? Ah, uh, yeah, you might want to. Well, check that. My car, my my vehicle was attended. We're good. Okay. Uh, right, we're good there. I'm just taking everything. <laughs> Because we're the ones who want to steal it, not somebody else. <laughs> Everything is in good hands. And here, here's a booth that I was at last year. And here we are again. We have um, have a lot of good retro items here. Turn the camera around here. We've got all these old, all these old calculators. Um, not to mention Atari and Atari 7800 system here with some games. Nice. Go back 40 years, you can make a killing selling those. Even used. Right, right. Hey, hey Jason, on those old calculators, mm -hmm. is any of them a Casio M, uh, CM, yeah, Computer Math 100, CM 100. Hey, I got one of those 35s right, right there. Yep, TI 35, Casio, CM 100, Casio, yeah. come on, Snake Eyes. It was the best calculator for somebody that was programming, especially in assembly. I don't, I don't see one. Would it have the shift operators and stuff? 
Steve? Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, I believe I had one and I, I think it disappeared at one of the club meetings I was at. Somebody appropriated it. Oh, <laughs> oh that's a bummer. Some my, adding my, my last C, um, CM100 was sitting on the desk, the shelf broke, came right down on it, and I literally cried. Oh, oh. Mm, that's terrific. No, I like the calculator so much that when I was at Datasoft, I went out and bought calculators for the whole programming staff. So I had built in hex and octal and bit shift operations and rotates and stuff, I presume? XORs and things like that, I believe. And you could set it to 16-bit math, 32-bit math, 8-bit math. Oh, cool. Oh, it was so, great. So what did you do wow, with your old calculator? Did you bury it or did you like put it out to sea or what did you do? I kept it for a long time trying to fix the display. I figured I could get some, and I never could. Atari 2600s. And by the way, when I said I went out and bought the guys the calculator, I used my own money. It wasn't the company's money. There so, so Jason, I have a question for you. This being yep. a ham-related uh, uh, show. Oh, what, what is the ratio in the flea market of doing computer stuff or calculator stuff or other things other than ham radio related stuff? Like, is it mostly ham stuff with a couple tables of other things or is it pretty even or what? It's, I, I would say it's mostly ham stuff. I mean, this is, this is one of the exceptions here with all this retro equipment. I mean, you'll have, you'll have somebody that they might have radio stuff and have some of this other stuff uh, on the table or some newer type computer, computer stuff. But yeah, I'd, I'd say it's probably it's probably eighty percent radio related. I mean, this is this this booth here. I like this. This is where I was. I went to this one last year, and it was uh, it was uh, one of my favorites. And this is kind of the exception to the rule. I, I again being very surprised to find that uh, that Coco one on uh, on a table full of everything else. Hey, I was going to ask you, Jason, on that previous table, was that a C uh, Sega CD system? Uh, it was. What does he want for it? Uh, $120. Uh, never mind. Yeah. Well, there's a trackball. I, this is where I bought my trackball. I bought I bought the other one. Um, got uh, NES Advantage for 20 bucks and uh, a light sixer for 80 bucks. <laughs> Fedor just uh, put in the chat there. He says, "Holy crap! Why don't we have flea markets like this in Europe?" Yeah, it's. Uh, we even have some uh, NES games. There's an actual licensed Pac-Man. So that's. Uh... Oh, and some owls. Is that a Pikachu? No, no. <laughs> I think it is a Pikachu. Yeah, that's. Uh, that's yeah, a Pikachu. officially sanctioned. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there's the. There, that looks like the bargain box. The box that didn't have enough table. Oh, I, I see. A, I see an orange NES light gun in there. The box. Mario. The box. Here's retro stuff. Ooh. Here's a here's a Sega light gun. That's the one that the Diecom adapter uses. The exact model. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Tim Linder has published specs on how to build your own adapter. So if you bought that, you actually could hook it up. I think I have a couple of these already, but uh, yeah, twelve dollars. The gun. Twelve dollars. Mm -hmm. Just remember, those light guns don't work on LCD panels. Absolutely. So yeah, that's um, that's uh, what else do we have here? Oh, we have some uh, 
Looks like some laser tag. Yeah. That's awesome. The whole box. The whole box. 1986 laser tag. Whole box. 40 bucks. Um, looks like we got a bunch of capacitors here. Uh, capacitors or tubes? Eh. Oh, those solid tubes. A, some some of these some of these. Uh, well, this is MSD, so that's a cap. Uh, that's a cap. I'm not. Sure. This oh. may not be what is this? This is. Oh no, it says 35 microfarads. Oh. Okay, MSD. it just has an octal base it's, though. Just kind of kind of strange there, and then we have uh, a TAC one uh, joystick here. That's pretty cool. So, just, uh, Apple to an Atari PC could be adapted to a Coco. Could be. Could be. And then, uh, pardon me. Uh, let's see here. Got, a, got some old Byte magazines here. And, um, oh, Apple Orchard. Huh. The only, I think, uh, I, I think the only Coco thing I found over here I bought yesterday. So, but there's some. Jason, there might be some interest from somebody for the uh, Sega CD or the uh, light gun. Okay. Hmm, what else we got here? Oh, wow, what is this? This is a... Ooh, telephones. HP flexible disk drive for an HP 86. That's... Uh, that's pretty big. ETY, I have one of those. <laughs> you have the acoustic coupler built in? Yeah, my mother was deaf, so that's how I would talk to her on the yeah, phone. There it is. An IBM Selectric typewriter with that. Yeah, that does look like an IBM Selectric. Got a bunch of, uh, oh, a mustard yellow <laughs> wall mount rotary phone. Leave that out in the sun longer. It'll get white again. <laughs> <laughs> the 60s is out. calling. Yeah, the 60s is calling, and uh, they'd like to reverse the charges. <laughs> Old Heath kit uh, scope and some, uh, yeah, there's a typewriter and some of that other stuff there. But uh, Yeah, Selectric too. it looks like. Uh, now, yeah, then the Selectrics yeah. have the uh, ball? Yeah. Oh, yep. oh yeah, it okay, does. it does have a ball. There it is. Yeah. They had some of the nicest fonts, too. There were some magazine articles on how you can convert those to a printer. Yeah, I was just going to say, a guy I worked for had a, a Selectric typewriter with this box. You put over the keyboard, and you attached it to the parallel port of your computer, and you could turn the, the Selectric into a daisy wheel. There were actually, actually, that interface was pretty common. If you had a, what was it, $400? Yeah, this would, give it, this would put a parallel port on it. It was in uh, yeah. Radio Electronics Magazine, I think it was. I actually had a cool IBM Selectric I lost in a house fire. It had a console, and it had what looked like punch card shapes, but they were magnetic strips. And you could type and store on it and then play it back. And it actually literally had like a printer cable running to it. What, what does he want wow. for that keyboard? Oh, yeah. 100 bucks. That's what those mechanical keyboards go for. Yeah, $100 for that. The Mac back there. Our Mac. What'd you see? On the other table, there was a tower, tower-based Mac. Oh, Jason. Oh, that uh, what that why is? Don't you hit, hit us up with a few yeah. more items, 
and then what we're going to do is look at doing the uh, break. Sounds great. Sounds great. Okay. Yeah, this uh, PowerPC Mac we have here, I remember some of those. Yep. And um, I really, I'm thinking that's. Um, that is that a Telstar down on the right there? Or about something? Here. On game? Uh, this is a Sony three channel mixer. Oh, okay. Couldn't tell. Is that what you're looking at? Yeah. Yeah. I just saw the paddles. Yeah, so. I, I could see where he would. Might have been a pong machine, but that's. Uh, I think that's all I really have, and uh, I'll, I'll check the messages here in a minute if I have if there's a message for me or something. And uh, hello, I'm David Ladd. Thank you for watching. Sorry, wrong button. Thank you, <laughs> oh, Jason. Button. That was, that yeah. was cool. well. That's it. Yeah. So, uh, oh, my pleasure in uh, reporting reporting from Hanvention 2019. That was interesting. Thank you. Ah, okay. Are we uh, ready well, to take well, a quick why break? Why don't we go ahead, ahead and do a quick uh, commercial break? And then when we come back, we're going to get into our discussions. I know, Curtis, you've got at least one good one that maybe we'll lead off with that. Okay. I'm sure some of the members of the panel join in that too. So, but a commercial first. Hi there, this is Mark Overholzer, and you're watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly talk show where you can join in. Hey, come watch us and see what's happening in the world of Coco. Coco Talk is brought to you in part by Placeblex Dietary Supplement. Placeblex, we think it works, so will you. What's going on, everybody? Stevie Stroh, and I want to say thank you for continuing to watch and listen to Coco Talk. We love doing this show. We think we've put together a pretty good show for you, but this show could be better with your help. So if you would like to send a feedback, a comment, a suggestion, a show topic, or maybe even your own little segment or bumper, then send it to us via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. This show would be nothing without you. Love to hear from you. Un ordinateur couleur qui a de la personnalité, le Coco 2 de Radio Sac. On solde pour Noël à partir de 149,95. Coco and we're back and i'll tell you you know the commercials that radio shack you know once i just can't get away from my own software that damn megabug <laughs> <laughs> I, I was waiting for Gary Bruce to show up follows you everywhere yep now curtis you had an interesting discussion that would probably be good to lead off with yeah, it, it it might strike a little bit of controversy because it kind of got kicked up um, from stuff that happened on Facebook concerning the release of Night Lord. But I want to make this a more general discussion on the topic, not just about Night Lord itself. And that is about uh, the fact about doing um, ports uh, or transcodes, et cetera, and then get into the morality leg legalities of doing it. I mean, this is something that's been affecting the software industry for decades. I mean, if you guys might remember the old timers, especially like... Um, 
Odyssey got sued by Namco for making uh, a Pac-Man clone that they eventually had to change and rename Casey Munchkin to get around some copyrights. Um, and in the case of Nightlore here, we've got a port from uh, a different system completely and had, you know, just kudos for doing the port. That's that's not an easy thing, doing a transcode of something of that magnitude. Uh, and we've had transcodes like Donkey Kong and uh, Pac-Man as well recently. Um, I guess the controversy has kind of come up a little bit is because it's it's being sold and most of the transcode ports have usually been done as free. I think mainly to help alleviate people from getting, you know, legal cease and desist notices from companies. And I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, I believe Nightlore is actually currently owned by Microsoft. They bought the rights a few years back. I'm if I not sure. I would have to do research on that. Okay, I, I remember somebody had mentioned that, that that technically the rights are not abandoned. It's not like a company that's shut down and no longer exists. And that also gets into the legality of abandonware, which I wouldn't mind touching on a little bit too. Um, but I mean, to get into stuff about copyrights and and season to system, we just saw this in the in the Commodore world because there was this nice, well done port of Mario done to the Commodore sixty four recently that was released for free publicly, and then. Nintendo came right down on it within days and like, you know, take that sucker down type thing. So I don't think that's going to happen in this case. I think we have the advantage of the cocoa market being small enough that we can kind of slide under the radar. So I don't think it'll be as an issue with Night Lore. And it's an excellent game. I, I watched it in, at the fest. Um, I guess the, the controversy, though, is if you're porting somebody else's code or doing an, you know, an exact clone of it, um, can should you be trying to legally sell it, per se? Now, I Obviously, in this case, they're selling it as a cart, so there is physical costs involved of, you know, the case and the ROMs and the boards and assembly and all this stuff, plus manuals and everything else. So, I mean, they would want to recoup some costs, but <clears throat> there's a potential of being some legal problems if somebody that holds the current copyright decided to come after them. So, is this something that should be encouraged that we just let, you know, tell people, you try to release this as a free download type thing so to, to try to avoid that? Or should we be avoiding that entirely? Because, I mean, in the case of the Commodore, Mario thing that did not help doing it for free. Nintendo still came down hard and said, "Just shut her down. I don't want to see this." Well, and and then to, you take it into the moral side of it, Nintendo would never have ported this to the C sixty four. The people that did Nightlore would never have ported this to the Coco. So, are they losing sales now? Legality wise, that's a totally separate story, and that's one problem I think with doing abandonware and porting and transcoding and stuff is that what feels morally right to somebody as a reason to do it or how to, to go about doing it doesn't necessarily match up with what the legal is. And then we get into complications of legalities between different countries because, I mean, the United States has different copyright laws than Australia, has different copyright laws in Canada than Europe. China, I mean, part of the big you know trade war is over IP issues, intellectual property. Because uh, basically China, unless you register and pay for registration in China within one year of registering it somewhere else, it, it isn't applicable. You can never file it after that in China, they, according to their laws, can do whatever they want with your stuff. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of legal complications. And Steve, I know you've actually gone through some of this stuff for enforcing copyrights, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So you probably have a lot more of a, a better legal background on the legal side of things. And I'd also be interested to hear your, your thoughts on the morality of some of the stuff. Like, I mean, my personal opinion, copyright law needs to change especially when it comes to computer software i mean for literary works like books and, and music and stuff i can see it being a bit longer but for computer software because it's such a fast-moving industry and a computer that you wrote code for 30 years ago doesn't even exist anymore so you're not losing anything like maybe that should be after a, a much shorter period of time it becomes public domain or freeware unless maybe you pay for re-registering it every year or something like that what are your well, thoughts steve 
let's hit that first one right there because we're talking you're saying 30 years ago how old is mario uh the first mario was what 80 nintendo five yeah so we're talking yeah. that age and yeah. nintendo okay, 40 yeah yeah <laughs> you know so nintendo still enforces their intellectual property on mario uh they and rightfully so they they should because in addition to the fact that they have their current stock of uh, video systems like uh, the Switch. They put Mario on it, and it is part of their intellectual property. Now, if you can go play Mario on platforms that they don't put it on, that dilutes their market. Because part of the idea of their system is not only do you buy their software, their game, but you also buy their hardware. Exclusiveness. So, so this is one element where uh, Nintendo will fight to keep, um, you know, the game pure. The other thing too is, this is a case that goes back uh, it was the '60s. Um, Disney used to not really enforce their copyright. As a matter of fact, they would let people paint Mickey Mouse on the side of a school building. Matter of fact, sometimes if it was convenient enough. He would Disney would actually send artists out to paint Mickey Mouse on the side of the school that wanted to do it. But then this company decided to come out with these posters of Mickey and Minnie uh, doing the deed and Donald smoking, a, a, you know, some stuff and you know, basically taking Disney's intellectual property, uh, making money off of it. But it wasn't so much the fact they're making money; it was the fact that these scenes were not Disney friendly and they wanted to shut them down because it was ruining their market. It was tainting their characters. Uh, you see these posters and now you don't see Mickey Mouse being the happy uh, character he is. Instead, he's off pumping Minnie Mouse. So uh, they really had to clamp down on it. And ever since then, Disney has clamped down in fear of this happening again, where somebody takes their intellectual property and buddies it. Now, Disney's actually an excellent uh, a choice example for this too, because Disney has actually been one of the main uh, people lobbying in Congress that has actually gotten the copyright laws extended further and further as the years have gone by. It used to be a lot less. I think the current law in the States is lifetime plus 70 years of the author. And so if it's corporate, it's a minimum of, I think, 125 years, and that may be extended. Yeah, it's 125 now. Yeah. But see, that's the thing is the company came up with the intellectual property. Now, on the other side of the coin, they sit there and say, well, Snow White, that was a public domain uh, character, and nobody can use it. No, you can use Snow White. You just can't take the imagery that Disney created and use it for your own profit like that. You have you they gave you permission, up. yeah. Yeah, look at Snow White and the Huntsman. It has absolutely nothing to do with what Disney created with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And, you know, it's another retelling of the story. So you can sit there and tell your own version of Snow White. It's just that you can't sit there and use the imagery of Dopey for your own purposes, the way that Disney did Dopey. After all, Disney was the one that named the dwarfs when he came yeah. up with the movie. So that, that's, that's you know, I, I've heard the argument before about nobody can do Snow White. Yes, you can do Snow White. 
Yeah, because that was that was basically in public domain before Disney ever did a movie of it. Now, something like Mickey Mouse, on the other hand, which I, he originally came out when was it twenty eight or something? Yeah, twenty eight, twenty nine. Yeah, Actually, and then basically you know, the original copyright would have expired years ago on on him being a trademark character, but they actually lobby Congress to extend the law, mm -hmm. and they keep they've done this a couple times now, and that that's where I'm kind of getting a little bit frustrated with. Uh, people with money being able to get these extensions. I, I think they've milked the character enough at this point, but that's my personal Well, well yeah, the well, thing is, if, if you, it's not a question whether they milk the character or not. You can always come up with your own characters and do your own original work and like that. And it, it, what I don't like is when people sit there and say, oh, gee, you've earned enough money off your particular video game. You don't have the rights uh, to control your property. And that's like saying Disney doesn't have the right to control its creative property at work. Yeah, true. The original fairy tales were in public domain at once, you know, and they still are. It's just that what they've done is they've created their own thing. And you are more than welcome to create your own thing based on what is in public domain. Well, the, the other problem with extending copyrights like Disney has done is other works have now been extended automatically and mm -hmm. many of these works are now in limbo because they're not sure uh, if they uh, can find the original copyright holders and so uh, so they, it can actually stifle some kind of uh, or stifle some of the uh, creativity you know or, or marketing of other products mm -hmm. uh, the other thing I wanted to touch base on one of the arguments was uh, when selling some of these products saying, well, I'm only making, you know, recouping the cost of uh, making or creating, you know, the raw, the, the products like the cartridges, stuff like that. Well, I mean, I could turn around and say, well, I could manufacture uh, DVDs and Blu-rays with, uh, with Star Wars on it and say, well, I'm only recouping the cost of just you know my the, the time that I'm taking to to create it and and, and all the materials uh, that doesn't uh, that's not a that's not really a good argument especially in a legal point of view uh, because when people do get sued they're not suing them of, uh, of actual damages they're looking at well this is lost potential sales that you know that they'll go after and that's mm -hmm. why they're able to recoup millions of dollars because it's also punitive uh, that they get as well all right you know, it's very expensive to bring a lawsuit. Oh, I do know that one's so true. And um, no, it, I, I've had to sue a number of people who have taken my copyright material and they felt there's no need to compensate me for my work. And this is stuff that I produced and, and was only copyrighted two years earlier, but they supposedly, well, you know, it runs on this system and that system is, you know, um, creative commons and but your software can't be creative commons and it's just it's it gets messy and the government is trying to go through and take care of issues of orphanware and um, you know what the rights are and like that but still part of the whole situation is does the creator of that material have the right to make profit off their intellectual property now in the case yeah. of and if they do how long do they get that right i mean yeah. that's like you know some of the patents with drug companies is an example which actually affects public health exactly that's where you can't do generics up until a certain amount of time but you, yeah. you know 
Well, that's the thing is I also own a number of patents too, and those patents have all expired. And that's what you go in with it. Now, true, when a lot of my copyrights, when they came in, they were much younger, but still none of them have expired based on the old copyright when I created it. They've been extended, but uh, they're still there. And I guess maybe another reason why I'm so uh, sometimes get upset at how people treat copyrights is because I'm on the side of the coin that has lost so much money because of one violation of a particular software program that a copyright, a order that would have gotten me a quarter million dollars was canceled because the game was pirated. See, people I could have, use that money today. Quarter people, million dollars. People have um, unwarranted expectations. I don't know the, the right word to use. They just think that software programmers become millionaires from the games and they don't realize how little the, the programmers actually get paid and most of the profits remain with the publisher who also has expenses such as advertising and customer support and, and processing other credit card transactions all kinds of things yeah oh sure I mean there's you know, a lawsuit against Apple right now that's actually the Supreme Court is approved to go to, to, to full Supreme Court trial over the app store and the fact that you know because they have a monopoly and I mean they're not making much money most of the apps are you know free with advertising or 99 cents so yeah, and then Apple takes a 30% cut on that. Well, let's bring it back to the main part of your question also, especially in regards to the software. We're talking about a translation. Technically, the code that's in the game is not the same copyrighted code. Or yeah, it's completely different, actually. It? <laughs> it's a translation of the copyrighted code. Yeah, it's algorithmically the same, but it's on a different CPU with different video hardware and everything else. So, like, none of the code is common. And that's, but, I don't know the legality of that. Do you, do you, Steve, know what the legality of that kind of thing is? Well, this is something that was brought up in one of the legal classes I was in. Is the translation from a work that was copyrighted in English, is it still copyright when it goes to France, uh, French? Well, from my brief reading of some copyright law uh, earlier this morning, it sounds like it depends on the country you're in. Like Germany yep. actually did, did a, in 1979, they had a ruling that basically said that computer software is not, I can't remember the word, it's not scientific something or other, and it's not artistic, so it's not copyrightable. And basically they have no copyright for software. Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, in Germany, it's a free for all. Yeah. See, a lot of these issues were determined way back when people were pirating IBM BIOS. And what they would do is make slight changes to the BIOS. And when it went to court, the, the, the judges not being experts on computer programming said, unless it's a byte for byte exactly the same, then IBM has no case. And all, all these people had to do were make minor changes to the code here and there, and it wouldn't pass that test. It just that's wouldn't. not necessarily no, that's true. that's not true. No. Uh, we're looking, if we look at the uh, case of the first real BIOS for a PC compatible computer, they did a white room translation. You had a group of people that studied the ROM and figured out every nuance of what it did. They worked up a spec sheet without showing any code whatsoever of what the different calls did in the ROM. And then you had another group that actually coded to that spec sheet. 
So there is a physical break between the people that knew the Ram and saw the Ram and understood the Ram. But that's not what people- I'm talking about. I'm talking no. about the Taiwanese companies that would just sell you IBM BIOS, the actual IBM BIOS, and they just make minor changes to the code, like change strings in the code so that it didn't say IBM. It said, you know, whatever three-letter Taiwanese company. Every no. case I saw in that, the case went towards uh, the owner of it. There, there was a case where they, they still lost, had they, the articles. No, they, they actually the lost day. those cases. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because you, you also had you also had a a, a a case back in the '90s with ARC. If you remember the uh, archive, uh, ARC along with uh, PKZIP. Uh, yep. What PKZIP did was basically do exactly that. They just changed some of the coding of ARC, and uh, they lost that case. Yeah, PKARC lost. That was Phil Katz. Uh, yep. He made a faster version of ARC than uh, System Enhancement Associates C that did the original ARC. Right. Yeah. So yeah, and and in many in many times, even uh, um, AT and sued BSD. Uh, for the same thing because they said, hey, you're using some of our code uh, in uh, BSD. So, and and uh, again, they, they had to change all that code. So yeah, that that's not correct. All right. Yeah, one, you know, it came back on the thing I was talking about where you had the clean room <clears throat> translation. That was to avoid a lot of the legal issues as far as some of the patents and definitely the copyrights that were in the micro, in the, um, IBM BIOS and yeah. keep it from getting from them getting sued. This gets more in line with what we're talking about where the person has now done a instruction by instruction translation of the game. Well, yeah, there's some, um, and it's now open source. Someone was re-implementing the Mac OS toolbox mm-hmm. um, and he was re-implementing it for the originally for the next station and then that got ported to to uh, Linux and Windows and DOS, and that's called Executor. If you look at that that movie, um, not uh, Pirates of Silicon Valley, there was the other one. There were two. Holding Catch Fire. No, no, that that was a no. TV show. I'm talking oh. about a movie. Um, the guy's name is Cliff Matthews that used to own the company ARDI, and I bought the one like the point nine version of it the pre-release version because it was in bike magazine as a big thing and he was gonna eventually get it to so that you could load mac os right on top of his toolbox rom but he abandoned the project at one point someone has recently picked it up but of course it's not really much use because no one's running 68k max anymore you know when you're talking about transcoding what about Back in the Cocoa days, a lot of companies reproduced famous software titles like Sailor Man. There were several clones of Zaxxon. Okay. Were... Let me take over from here. Okay. In the case of porting a game from one platform or another, most of them were done not as translo- transcoding. They were done simply by looking at the game as a spec and then writing the game. It's totally different than transcoding. Right. Transcoding, you don't know exactly the flow of the game, but what you're doing is instruction by instruction, you're translating what's going on, what the CPU is doing to get that going on. Or in the case 
of these ports, you are looking at what was done. A good example is when I did one-on-one, -on -one, the basketball game. I never saw the source code until two weeks before I delivered the product. <laughs> I looked at the game, watched how it played. I created my own specs for how well the player, you know, Larry Bird and the other guy Jules, play. Jules Erling. Yeah. Jules. Um, you know, I went Jules. through and I was almost perfect. And what was different between our two games is the information about how the players played was based on two years later from what the original game was. But other than that, they were identical just because I used the game as the original spec and ported, never saw their source code. Now in the case of Arkanoid, I was able to get a little bit of the source code, but the main thing is I got all the maps. So it was easy to make sure I had the maps right because I had the source to the maps. You know, so all the backgrounds, you know, the patterns and like that. Now, now, Steve, in this case here, you were doing official ports, though. Yes. It's something like Donkey King, which actually Tom Mix did get contact, and that's when they changed it to the King because it was just too similar. But when you get in gameplay that's you know, almost identical to the arcade, whether it's clean room or not, there has been cases in the past where people have been sued and have lost. Casey Munchkin, yes. like I mentioned before, is one of them. So well, where, 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 where do you get different enough that you're you're legally in the clear? Uh, one of the things that comes up in court of law is intent. Is your intent to create an original concept or is your intent to create something that, while similar, is more inspired by and not necessarily a direct copy? Uh, Casey Munchkin, um, they knew they had to do a bunch of changes and they did. There, It wasn't just you know, true, they did have to change the name because it was too similar. But a lot of the game didn't change because the, the guy improved upon the concept. Now, a thing going through the maze and eating dots is generic, and you really cannot control that. But look at uh, Megabug. Megabug goes through a maze and eats dots. And the original game, I'm not sure that the timeline if it was that close to Megabug. I, I mean, uh, Pac-Man. But I knew, do know there was not eating maze games that came out before Pac-Man. Yeah, there was a car racing one, uh, Demolition, I can't remember what it was called, it was a little quad thing. Rally X. Cars around. Yeah, Rally X, right. Yeah, because yeah. that predated Pac-Man and that ate dots too. Now we yeah, have a question so from the chat here from Alan Huffman and I, I will expand on it a bit. He said to ask you about Z89 and I'll expand this to Nick Morantis because he did a Pac-Man tribute that was clean room driven but he's using like the actual music from the arcade game and the shapes are pretty well identical. The maze is identical. Where do you think these, these would fall? Oh, without a doubt, Z89 is not kosher. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that wasn't the answer I was expecting, but. No. Um... I mean, you did add comets in the space sequence, so, or meteors or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah I mean, you it, did some slight variations. It, but I was trying to do the game. And actually, Z89 was done as a promise that, you know, I could finally make a Zaxxon on the Coco 3 that was closer to the arcade than that Coco 1-2 version Zaxxon I did so many years ago. And, you know, just to kind of prove, yeah, this is what we're capable to do with this improved hardware. And that's really why that one came out. Uh, I 
was hoping I would never get sued. Um, at by that time, Sega was uh, definitely. Uh, let's just say they weren't as big as they were four or five years ago, and I was hoping I could fly under the wire. Yeah, and I think as I mentioned before, the smaller cocoa market I think actually helps us. We get we get to do a lot of these things. I think a bit under the radar compared to everybody else. Now, Nick mm -hmm. Marantes, I was going to bring in your Pac-Man because you did a, a clean room implementation that is was considered the closest clone pretty well in the 8-bits too. And now since then, we've had Glenn Hewlett do an actual transcode of Pac-Man. So I was wondering what your opinions, and then Steve, you can jump in there too, as far as the copyright part goes between those two, because they were very close to the arcade. Yeah, well, um, I've written 16 commercial level games between the TRS-80 Model 1 and the Color Computer, of which only two of those were essentially copies from some other work. There was Space Intruders, which was the Space Invaders, which I changed a fair bit, improved the graphics, and even added an entire extra level. So that was sort of yeah. That uh, one I think is more of a like you like Steve mentioned an inspired work because you, yeah, you took yeah, that's elements right. from that Phoenix was. and Space Intruders or Space Invaders, and then you did you know sixteen color graphics versus the black and white. So I think there's enough changes to qualify that. That one's got enough changes. Pac-Man was a direct copy mainly because. I tried that because you know people were people tend to like games that they're familiar with, and I thought Pac-Man's a good one, so I did Pac-Man. And of course, when you do a clone game uh, as such, it gets judged on how close it is to the original. Even if you put new ideas in that make it better, people will say, "Oh, it doesn't have that level," or the graphics here is different. They straight away that's a negative. So. My intent when I was doing Pac-Man, of course, was, well, just make it as close as I can because then people can't complain. But I never did base it on the original code either. I basically looked at the, um, the uh, as Steve was saying, it was the, the template or whatever the word was he used. Um, all the code is 100% mine. I had to nut out all the, all the, uh, the, the ghost intelligence. So my point is that a lot of the work there is my own work. It's just based on another known game. I guess when you're dealing with uh, transcodes, then you can't really ever say that that game that I'm transcoding is really mine. It's someone else's game. It's someone else's code. It's someone else's logic. All you're doing is the, the mechanical act of converting from one CPU to another and making it work on different hardware, but you, you never really can say that you own the game. You don't actually code. None of that code really, the, the game logic is yours. So for me to do something like a transcode, that's fine, that's challenging, but I could never actually sell it. Uh, to me, it would be unethical to actually put a price and, and, and rake a profit in based on someone else's work and someone else's co code completely. So that's that's my side of things. I, I've never really been a fan of doing these sort of ports of uh, existing programs. I That was just Pac-Man and Space Invaders were just two that I did because, well, everyone else was doing it. So, <laughs> but most of my software has actually been original games. And, and, and they're the ones I'm more proud of because they are my games. They are, it's my code and my idea. So I do that and I prefer doing that. 
even my latest song, well, Pop Star Pilot, that's a that's my own idea and all my own code. And Gunstar that I'm doing now, although it's you know it's a typical vertical shoot 'em up, which isn't you know it's not new that, but the game itself, all of it, the code and how I build it is my own code. So I you know it's it's for me ethically I can I can sell that, but yeah, Pac-Man is the um, is uh, the one that's uh, probably the the most unethical one that I've written, but. Well, yeah, it's certainly and a trans your, your, your new game, Nick, is part of a genre. It's not. Well, a it's a genre. Game. Yeah, it's not yeah. really a copy of anyone's game. No. Yeah, but it's got different graphics and background styles, etc. I don't even know where the game's going to go. You know, I sort of start <laughs> it. I know the genre. So I say, okay, I need a spaceship. And, oh, yeah, that looks good. And I need aliens. And oh, yeah, they look good. And I'm sort of working it out as I go. It's, it's not based on any idea, except it's a vertical shoot em up genre so yeah it's i guess it's the creative side of 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 programming games that i'm more interested in yeah and i want to bring up one other specific example that has had both creative and transcode elements to it and that's uh john kowalski sockmaster who did the original donkey kong transcode the first transcode we had where he duplicated the original arcade game but then a few years later, he came out with Donkey Kong Remix, where he did remix the, the whole mazes and everything else. He added some new elements, trampolines and things like that. So now it's it's kind of an inspired game. I mean, technically, I think he could have sold Donkey Kong Remix because I think it's different enough. I mean, it's based on the same core, you know, emulating the sprites and stuff. But he did redo the gameplay quite a bit from the original. And I'm wondering like, what Steven Nick's... Like a mashup. Yeah, I'm wondering what yeah. Steve and Nick's opinions on, on on you know Donkey Kong versus Donkey Kong Remix. You know, could that have been a commercial sold product? I know John himself didn't want to take the risk of it, but yeah, what are your yeah, feelings on that? Kind of the fact he's using the same graphics is is the big issue there, because the graphics itself can be copyrighted separately than the code. Mm-hmm. So he's done some original code there, and if he did different graphics to that, then he could. You know, to my judgment, you know, uh, and everybody's going to judge us differently, and courts may judge it differently, and you want to respect what they do, and uh, and so that's kind of the thing. And I'm going to kind of the odd thing is, I haven't really done the original stuff these guys have, but the, the games I've tried to do, though I've used the gameplay ideas, I've tried to change them and improve on them, and. Yeah, was I wish I was a creative as Steve and Nick, and original game ideas like they've done. Yes, I did. Unfortunately, I haven't been, and so you know that puts me in my book a notch below their their skill level and just creativity, because I have uh, used the other ideas, uh, but I've tried to make them unique and a bit different. You know, I've never tried to do an exact clone copy, and. So, uh, you know, Sockmaster's work is fantastic. And, you know, my judgment would be the, the code behind it. He's probably legal on the fact that he's still using the Donkey Kong graphics was where we'd be having the issue. Um, Alan Huffman noted in the chat, and I was just about to mention, that um, that remix is being sold on arcade boards that people have mounted into cabinets. Mm-hmm. My understanding he's is he's not the selling board. the boards. He's selling a ROM supplement set. You have to have the original Donkey Kong board, which has the original sprite hardware and everything else on it. 
and you just have these ROMs. So he's not selling a whole board. Right. Okay. Uh, I can yeah, also but... give give you other examples and uh, uh, just uh, part of the discussion, uh, like in Star Wars and Star Trek. Uh, there are a lot of fan edit movies uh, or even short stories like in Star Wars you have Pink Five uh, and they have actually used you know the, the Star Wars story and everything else they they and they were professionally produced and Star Trek had the next mission which they used Captain Kirk Spock and and uh, it was a whole series uh, both of these were were given the blessing from the copyright holders to do these uh, uh, movies and such. Um, no, no, no. Not in the Star case Trek, of Star Trek. Star Trek, no. they locked it down. Yeah, they, yeah. What no, happened they, was, they stopped doing it. But. I did two of the, the the Star Trek fan films, and what was happening was was the copyright holder CPS CBS slash Paramount was just looking the other way. As long as the production didn't make any money and didn't right. try to it, sell merchandise. Yeah, and, and were, they was, were going to look the other way. They but they did, did change their mind afterwards. And they changed their mind. But the other one that they, they went after is in Star Wars, they, they did the original, uh, they redid all the movies back to the theatrical uh, uh, releases. And, of course, they, they're trying to get that shut down, uh, even though it's still on the Internet. But yeah, they, they keep aggressive. Yeah, but Lucas, Lucasfilm now has, and CBS now both have guidelines for making fan films so that right. you can now legally make a fan film but there are restrictions on what characters you can use how long the movie is how much how money you can raise to make it and how you, how you portray them as well yeah because what happened with the star trek i'm not going to mention names but there was one producer who raised a million and a half dollars to make a fan film that everyone was really uh, looking forward to and then it turned out he mishandled the funds. He paid himself a salary, paid his girlfriend a salary, rented cars, flew to conventions. Okay, okay ow, ow. Let's stay right, on but, the subject of Coco stuff and, and where that pertains in there. We're, we're drifting off the main subject. Any, anyways, uh, also, Richard, um, may want to check the position of your microphone. You're pretty quiet. Okay, can you hear me now? Slightly better. Okay, sorry about that uh anyways but um getting back to the subject about translation and and like that and whether or not you could get sued or get a takedown notice a lot of it has to do with the power and money behind who owns it too um i have to admit when it comes to me doing takedown notices and stuff like that you know i've got protected what's going on but i got limited resources to do it uh, companies like Nintendo, Disney, and like that have huge amounts of resources and good reasons to protect their intellectual property. Uh, in the case of the one game that we're talking about here, uh, it could be somebody that's got some strong interest in protecting their, their copyrights and intellectual property. But the thing is, we're also looking at a small market. We're not talking ethics here. We're talking about, you know, financial rewards and it's worth to do something like that. So the translation of this project on the Coco, uh, given away, most most likely I don't see them getting into trouble. Them selling it, and they're muddy in the water a little bit. But the thing is, I think we're talking about a small uh, little stream, not something like the mighty Mississippi as far as uh, trying yeah. to go up the stream. 
I think it also depends on whether the franchise that you're doing a transcode, et cetera, of or, or port or whatever is, if it's an active franchise, like Donkey Kong, obviously still active, Mario, still active. That's why they're enforcing their copyright so heavily. Night's Lore, as far as I know, is not an active franchise, still making new stuff based on that that mm -hmm. property. So that I think that makes a big difference. Is it worth them trying to sue when they're not doing anything with it right now? I mean, if they change their minds and decide to come up with a movie of Night's Lore, well, then maybe they will, but... I think at well, this point, it's not a big concern. Another yeah, for thing me, these days, I have to be very careful about what I do. First of all, I'm married to a lawyer, and boy, I get a lot of consultation out of it. Uh, the second thing is, I like my house. I don't want to lose it. So I'm, I try to be careful. But and Another thing about a market as small as the cocoa, where we're talking hundreds, maybe in the low thousands, versus the millions of an of a nintendo game mm -hmm. you know the game machine yeah that i people, kind of mentioned that earlier yeah but you, but you didn't say this people tend to own the same game on multiple platforms so i have a coco and i've downloaded donkey kong but i also have the nintendo game and i have the donkey kong cartridge for it i have you know i have an atari uh 2600 and an 800 and I have cartridges for those. And those tend to be the same games. Like I have Project Nebula on the Coco, and then on the Atari 800, I have Star Raiders. Mm -hmm. I tend to own the same game on multiple platforms. So buying the Coco version of the game is only for fun. It doesn't actually mean I don't buy the game on other licensed platforms. Sometimes that's an unusual case. Um... But, Once again, because the Coco is a small market, I think, yeah, yeah. in this particular That's case. That's what I'm saying, is that it's such a small market. And that's market. the reason Nintendo came set down so hard on the Mario clone on the C64, because C64, even though it's a retro platform, Millions. it's a huge platform. Millions of yeah. C64s. And they were giving away for free. I mean, they were not making money on it, so that wasn't part of the issue in that case. But they, they came down, like I said, within days, and it's, it's you know they've been trying to take it down ever since. And on the C64 market, there are new clone computers being made. You know that c64 mini and now they're going to do a full-blown they're going to blow the mini up to the full size with a real keyboard um so you know th there's a chance that if nintendo didn't crack down on the super mario brothers clone the transcode or whatever it is that they would lose significant sales to a new c64 platform now, there's a few people on the panel we haven't heard from, so let's give them a chance to get in and join and make their comments in regards to this discussion. Also, uh, from some people in the chat room, too, have been kind of ch chiming in, too. We should maybe get a few of theirs, too. There's some talk of, you know, like Megabugs are fairly original because it's a, a dot-based game, but it's it's quite different in gameplay. I was trying to remember Six, he had a comment. I wonder if any of you other guys on the panel want to talk about it. In the meantime, I'll try to yeah, add a comment. If there's nobody that wants to comment, well, I have I made a few a, more things I can say. But uh, I made a comment. Know. I made a comment in the chat and the on the Facebook um, about this, about transcoding. Like if I took, I, I'm, I equated it to music. If I took a wave file, and say I, there were no automated tools, and I painstakingly transcoded from wave to MP3, it's totally. The data is completely different. The file is completely different. But the net result is it's the original song.
that's that's somewhat true yeah so it's just a different format right it's a different format so the net result though is that you play this different file through a different piece of software you get the original experience now i think that's where where steve was getting into you know doing an inspired by game versus uh an exact as as close as a clone as you can possibly make it and this whole thing also came to a head with the emulation scene because companies are defending the copyrights for 30-year-old games just in case they want to release uh, retro packs in the future or whatever, which has happened. Yeah, or, or create new versions of the characters and they want to still keep the copyright on the characters themselves, even if they've been updated and changed. So Nintendo yanked all their ROMs off all emulation sites and that sort of thing for similar reasons. Well... It, you can still find them, but it made it so that the casual user is more difficult to find them. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That is a copyright material. Uh, it's active. Uh, Nintendo, I mean, even on the Wii, they came out with Excitabytes, which was an old, old, old game. So, you know, they always, there's a potential for them to make money off of it. They're protecting their stuff. And you got to remember, companies have a responsibility to their stockholders to make the most profit and do things to make the most profit for the stockholders. If they don't, they can get brought up before judges and have certain nasty things done like uh, thrown in jail. So it, it's, it's important for these companies to do the best they can to make money and protect how they make money. And it's intellectual property, they gotta protect it. Yeah. I got a good comment here from Joe Burnett in the uh, chat room too. He says, I think the resurgence in the interest in old retro games has made many companies rethink enforcing their intellectual property right now, such as all the all-in-one retro consoles being sold by QVC and Walmart that Alec mentioned, like the C64 one. And I think that is true. I think some people kind of thought, no, it's dead. That was stuff we did 30 years ago. It's not going to sell again because everybody's using you know modern 3D engines. But the nostalgia has actually gotten you know people to be able to bulk manufacture some clones of these older 8-bit systems back in the day, and they're proving to be hugely popular. They're selling out. Well, look at the so now all of a sudden, awesome. it is important that they start enforcing their copyright so they can make the money off the stuff they created the 30 years ago that these people are now playing on these on these new platforms, cloning the old ones. Well, look, look at that's classic. It was supposed to be a limited run, one-time run, and people bought them up, sold them on eBay for 500 bucks, and now Nintendo ended up creating multiple uh, runs of And I think you can still buy it today. And that oh, was yeah. not the original plan. But there are clones of the NES Classic. I think yeah, John is holding several of them up. Yeah. Any, anyways, uh, another example of trying to protect your intellectual property because you never know what's going to happen in the future. Look at Prince of Persia. That's a crowning example of a game that came out at the beginning of the computer systems. It had a few issues, you know, releases of games showed up on different platforms and then went stagnant for a while. Then when a more modern game system with better graphics came out, uh, they came up with much more elaborate Prince of Persia's and eventually became a movie. Let's say, let's remember taking a video game into a movie, you start talking about making some real money. So um, yeah, if, if somebody would sit there and said, you only have the rights to uh, the intellectual property for 10 years, the people that created Prince of Persia, I mean, the guy that created Prince of Persia, would never got his royalty checks for the movie. Yeah. But, but Steve, do you agree that the current copyright extension of lifetime of the original author plus 90 years, isn't that a bit excessive? 
No, because I have um, heirs. They have, you know, okay, I earned money uh, 100 years ago. I mean, my heirs earned 100 money 100 <laughs> years ago. Uh, do I have the right not to inherit that money from them? It's the oh, no, that, to me, that's a different thing, though, because you can inherit money that you've earned off of the stuff that you did. But those people have done nothing creative to make this product. They're just basically just raking in residuals, right? Well, just think about this. Intellectual properties are that. They're properties. And money is properties. And real estate is properties. Um, the folks that... Uh, are the heirs to Bob Hope. They're gonna be making money for generations off the land that Bob Hope took all of his earnings from his movies and stuck into land. He owns a, uh, he owned a lot of land in California. But it, that's just my feeling in regards to intellectual property. It is just as much as real estate, as cash, as these other things. Yeah, and see, that's and, where I, I defer for a bit from you there. To me, intellectual property is like ideas and concepts. It's not physical goods like a patch of land or somebody's old car collection or something. So to me, the, I, I view those differently. I think there should be, you know, a, definitely an amount of time, but I, I do think that the plus 90, I mean, it's plus 70 here in Canada, for example. Yeah, what, what can I say? It's intellectual property. Yeah, but that intellect died when the original author died. Those other people do not have the intellect to do that property the, the on their own. Can I hear is you you take an author who's written a book, okay? Now he dies. Somebody takes that book, and as they say, they modify this, and they they take a wholesome character and make it into a porn character using kind of the idea that Steve was talking about what they were doing to Mickey Mouse and many and such, okay? You need a right to protect your reputation, the reputation of your forefathers, because that gives you there. So once it becomes covered by copyright, we're not making, the law's not making the decision between the software, whether what type of the intellectual property it is, okay? And so I'm gonna side with Steve right now. Should there be a decision made? I don't know, okay? But you have to be able to protect those people with that intellectual property because they can come back and disgrace the heirs, okay? Well, in, in and, that and case, the then should this not be infinite? Should once you've established a copyright, skip the not plus 90 years plus lifetime? If, if your heirs are gonna be constantly, you know, keeping the reputation, maybe it should be ad infinitum. You know, somebody created something in the middle ages, Chaucer's tales should not be copyrighted and the Chaucer family should always get it. I think that's excessive. Well, I, I guess the, the thing is what, what, what should the limit be? Go ahead. Well, the current limit well, is 90 years. Yeah. But here's what solves it. Even if I created if it when I was 20, I lived to 90. It's another 90 past that. Now we're talking 160 years. Well, let's let Alan Hoffman in. Yeah, go ahead, Alan. Sorry. So here's the thing that muddles the water with all of this. If I have a family business and I create something and it stays in my family, I think we should be able to have it as long as possible. But as soon as it's owned by a corporation, which isn't anyone. It's just whoever is on the CEO and the board and it comes and it goes, nobody has any connection or whatever. That's when it seems a little strange. But I see if I create a character and I make a statue and I own this statue, this is a physical thing. You cannot make replicas of it because it's a physical thing. And Curtis, would that be agreeable? Yes. Okay. And then you decide to make a drawing of that physical thing. 
have you violated my ownership of this yeah design? if i draw the eiffel tower and there's a copyright in the eiffel tower have i violated the copyright now i owe them money for it exactly so if we're talking about a book and I, I would say it should be infinite as long as it's being passed down like any other good. I will the creation of Mickey Mouse to my son. But, it's, but once companies take over that outlive everybody and people that had nothing to do with anything have just bought it, that seems strange. But at the same time, we have to allow that or you can't sell anything you make to a business. Yeah. And that's actually, that so, leads into patent trolls, right? Because that's what they do. They just buy pop property from people that can't afford or don't want to enforce it. And they just, all they do is they sue people and they don't actually make yeah, anything. So, so, so they, the, it gets real muddy when you've got something that is a character or a three-dimensional figure or an actual movie or, you know, this whole Mickey Mouse copyright thing. There is so much active development on a daily basis based around this that it's hard to argue that it doesn't belong to the Disney company. If I'm not saying I'm the abandoned. answer. I'm just, yeah, just, yeah. I'm just trying to bring up contrary points here. Yeah. So, so I, can... I say, you know, if it's in your family, yes. If you are actively developing it, yes. If you just let it waste away, that's when the limit should come in. 70 years of non-use, it's gone. Something like that. But that's not how it works. Actually, that's something that they are looking into is we have one system for trademarks. If you do not actively use your trademark, you lose it after a decade. A good example of this is the term Captain Marvel. Uh, yeah, because Fawcett lost it. Yep, the they lost movie. it because, well, they got sued out of existence and basically by DC. bought yeah. out by DC Comics. And then DC didn't do anything with it for 10 years. And then Marvel goes, ooh, let's use it. And they now own the tra trademark on Captain Marvel. Which is why they have to call the DC Captain Marvel, which is based on the original Fawcett one from 39, they have to call it Shazam. Yep, exactly. So this is something that's been floated around in the copyright industry is that you have to use your copyright. You have to be actively protecting. And what that does, it puts an end to orphanware. Yeah, I, Actually, I, that I would agree with. And I just want to mention something else. And James Jones in the chat says, the constitution says, and quote, to secure to authors and inventors, not to the heirs of authors and inventors. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah. I remember a few years ago when there was a lot of uh, uh, Dr. Seuss characters were being licensed for like uh, swag rare stuff. And the discussion was, is that the original copyrights were starting to run out. And so the state of uh, Theodore Geisel, you know, reissued new materials to, to preserve that. But um, we really have moved away from the whole crust of the, about the translation. Translation. If I can just sum up some stuff from earlier. Should he profit from somebody else's work is really the bottom line here. Well, what, I have. You know, as far as doing the translation. Yeah. And, and like that. Did he create the original concept? Did he... Uh, do the time to create it? Did he do the hard work? Did he take the risk? And also when you create something, you run the legal risk, are you violating somebody else's um, copyright and like that? So there's that issue. Um, you know, you know question, so basically, basically, did he earn it? Yeah. Okay, John well, first. Yeah, the, the other thing I wanna throw in here is Say I speak a language 
and uh, that there's no translation for. Okay, does somebody have a right to get paid to make that translation? And I think that's kind of gives a good comparison. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you know, not disagreeing, you know, and this is really a gray area, uh, you know, as far as ethics and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's something that I, though I don't do transcode, you know, I have a game that I'm wanting to write and I want to do it because, hey, I want to actually see it on a bit machine, you know, what, how, how it will play. But, you know, do I really dare do this? And, you know, there's things like that ha that happens, you know, and so, you know, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a lot of can feelings both ways. Yeah, can I ask a question about this? Because I kind of missed this controversy that came up recently. Um, if I decided that I knew how to transcode and a whole bunch of people decided to do a GoFundMe to raise enough money, and I said, you know, if you guys make me $3,000, I will spend the work and transcode this and give it to you. Isn't that the same thing? And is that just as bad? I don't know. <laughs> Steve? I don't know what the legality of that is where you're getting paid for the transcoding, but you don't charge for the game itself. Uh, you're still, from your work, you're still making money. So whether you're getting so you're paid up front profit. or you're getting paid later, you're still making money on it. Because, I mean, one thing I can unequivocally state is that the work of transcoding is not easy. I mean, I've transcoded PC-8086 code to the Coco at one time when I did CC Unzip way back in the 90s. And it's a, it is a lot of work. It's not like you just, you know, just ripped off somebody's stuff, just quickly slapped it over and you're done. Um, so there is a lot of work involved, but it's because of the copyrights and trademarks and everything else that's within it, patents possibly, that it starts to get complicated from a legal standpoint. Um, and as I mentioned at the top of the discussion, I, like for me, there's there's two separate sets of issues here. There's the legal issues, which is kind of you know encoded in law, but there's also the morality issue of you know should you be selling something that you didn't creatively create, but you did do a lot of work, you know, involving your time, which you should get reimbursed for. I would feel uh, for doing it, but I mean, you know, maybe maybe people shouldn't try to do this in the first place if it's too much of a legal, you know, black or gray oh. area. Separate from the ownership of the graphics of the game or the software and the algorithms that control how it operates, does the value of the programming skills of the programmer have any value? I mean, I would not argue everyone, yes. not, yeah, not everyone can, I don't have the skills of a Steve Bjork or Nick Morentes or John Strong. I couldn't write games like they do. I couldn't write software like they do. I, I take me 10 years to learn enough programming skills to do the simplest of games that they have done you know and where they are now they'll be 10 years ahead of me in 10 years you know um not everyone can program not everyone can transcode not everyone can produce a game that's decent you know and that that has to have some value other than the ownership of the copyrightable you know elements of a game or, or any software well, one of the advantages of a transcode game, and that's one reason why we're excited when we do see the transcode games like Donkey Kong come over to the Coco, it is like playing the arcade game. It is, you know, Donkey Kong's going to respond exactly, you know, the way he does, throwing the barrels. Yeah. At if the you range. learn patterns, they work properly because it's actually the original quote-unquote code. Yeah. Just translated. So what you're doing is you are doing a extremely faithful translation of the original work unlike a port where 
you have areas which are to the interpretation of the programmer. Like I did with Pac-Man. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, clean room implementation style. Yeah, so there, there's pros and cons to both. You know, uh, I do get excited when I see a translation because I know I've got the original game playing on that platform. And, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a lot of work. I, 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 I mean, what, what he did with Donkey Kong, you know, you know, it, it, he didn't sit down and do that in an evening. It probably oh. took him longer to do the translation than actually do a port. Yeah, same with Glenn doing Pac-Man and same with uh, Mark doing uh, Night's Lore. There's a, supposedly a Defender transcode in the works. Yep, same Mark guy that did Pac-Man is actually, I've seen the early demo of it. And, you know, the work is great, you know, and do they deserve some money for there, you know? Uh, I don't have a problem with that, you know, just whether it's legal and ethical, you know, that's that's the other question this, you know? Uh, I guess yeah. who should be would, getting would the money? the cartridge? Yep. You know, very possibly, you know, but we're talking about legal and ethical issues here. And that's where it's the question. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. I'm not an attorney. I may be married to one, but I'm not an attorney. <laughs> um, he, he, you know, him selling it, I really don't see much of a problem. But he does run the risk of, of get, minimum getting a cease and desist letter. Worst case, he gets sued. So it's his prerogative whether or not he wants to try and make money off of this work. I mean, he'd probably I, be I smart. Agree. I think he'd probably be smart if he went to the original author to begin with and negotiated something. If you can find the original author. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, I have to double check, but I think Microsoft did buy the rights to Night's Lore at some point because they are including it on a pack they released in 2015, some retro yeah. thing. So, I mean, it's Microsoft you might be talking it's to. the rights holder you need yeah. to go to. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not the author, the rights holder. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and remember, a lot of people have the attitude it's better to ask forgiveness than ask permission. Yeah. And I think we are a small enough market that it's probably going to go under the radar and it won't be a problem for anybody, whether he charges or not, to be honest. Um, I, I like you said, market? Steve, he runs the risk that you know something yeah. could happen if, if they decide to elevate it. So. I know I'm not going to go alert Microsoft on it. You know, I'm not going to bring it to yeah. their attention. I'm not either. What about a game like Hunt the Wumpus, which was also a re recent release on cartridge for the Coco? That's been around forever on mainframes and every Yeah, it was a text-based game originally. Isn't that in the public domain? The concept, the original game, probably? I don't know. That's a good question. I know I know the port we have is based on the TI-99 graphics version. Like, the graphics are just about identical. So if, if the graphics are copyrighted, then we might be running an issue there. I don't know. Hmm. OK. Hey, can we okay. take a commercial break? I think it would be a good time for that. Yeah, I think we've pretty well wrapped up. There's there's no easy solution to this anyway. It's more opinions at this point. And, and oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I'm well, grateful I... for emulation. Now, we would lose a lot of stuff to history, and I know there's moral implications to that, but uh, you know, it'd be a shame to lose. I will say I am planning on buying it once my finances are better. So um, <laughs> just on the record, I have nothing against it. I, I do like it. I did like seeing it the best. Okay, so why don't we go ahead? We're going to do a commercial break. We do have a lot more to discuss when we come back. And um, also, if anybody's got uh, time for announcements or 
other acquisitions. Uh, get those ready because we'll go through that too. You are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original color computer, the Coco 3, and the world renowned exclusive French Canadian Radio Shack. Hey, this is Bruce Moore, author of Force of Doom, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Strobe. Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter, stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. Oh, I remember that Christmas. Dad gave me my first shortwave radio from Radio Shack. What memories. This Christmas, we got our son's color computer three from Radio Shack. It hooks right up to our TV and was on sale for less than $130. The color computer three makes learning fun. Jimmy even lets me use it for word process. When he isn't playing computer games. Lucky I still got my shortwave. Save $70 on the sale-priced color computer three. Only at Radio Shack. We now return you to Cocoa Talk. I've actually gotten uh, YouTube copyright violations for uh, <laughs> oh, for covering songs. So if my performances are that good that they threaten the record sales, I'm taking That's a feather in your cap. Huh. So you'll say thin. <laughs> or your red hat as it may be. Hopefully exactly. that's not covered. It also cover my terrible hair that one day, but anyway. Hey, can, I so throw a little, can I throw a little thing in there? Is Hello, Bruce, yes. Yeah, Bruce here. Hey, that I'm, I'm not sure if it was that Forest of Doom commercial or a different one, but I got a copyright ding on it a little while ago. Someone in, um, because I've got some video clips in there that I didn't generate, and somebody in South America was claiming it belonged to them. <clears throat> and so they were, they're gonna, it was going to be taken down. But I was able to go back through my records and find my receipt because I actually licensed those video, those little extra video clips in there and so i could send it in and show no it's my so i don't know what was going on there but i'm really glad i you know dotted my i's and crossed my t's wow. yeah is it a copyright troll well who knows right they were saying it was theirs and i could show look this is for sale and i licensed it so then there's a oh okay <laughs> it was unlocked immediately so yeah, I've got something much worse than that. Uh, when Apple released GarageBand, they gave you a bunch of royalty-free jingles to use in your productions. Yes. Yeah. And somebody indeed used one, and it's on a CD. It's, the, it's almost exactly the track from uh, GarageBand, wherever Apple yeah. got it from, just with a little bit added on top of it. And because that is a copyrighted CD, all of my old videos that use that production library get copyright dings constantly on YouTube. They never take them down, but they always warn me. So... So it's there too you close. go. Whoever whoever gets there first. Yep. Yeah, it's the algorithm. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. Okay. 
So, do we keep anybody, running a commercial in the yeah. future? <laughs> yeah. Uh, does anybody have a, um, an, a unique acquisition that they want to talk about this week? We'll start with that first. Well, Nick uh, Marotis got. You guys. Yeah. Is, uh, is Richard here? Yes, um, he is. I don't yeah, know if he's got his mic on, but he's here. Okay, so I'm going to. Okay, so I'll talk about my stuff. A little bit then. Um, so yeah, I had a 128k Coco 3 until yesterday, and now it's 512. And uh, I was um, have to admit I was nervous about doing the procedure because my heart, my skills in the real world with tangible objects are not as good as my skills with bits and bytes and intangible stuff. So I was very fortunate that uh, I had a couple of uh, great friends hang out with me. Uh, that would be Curtis and Nick Morentes. They stayed with me on video chat and uh, walked me through it and gave me the push I needed to uh, pull the old chips out, which was scary for me, and to pull the capacitors. Uh, putting, the, putting the new board in was easy peasy. That was like the simplest part. Uh, it was getting it prepped for that, which was which I was uh, scared about because I have this thing about, you know, if I mess up and I can't go back to where I was, then it make you know I'm sure it's pretty common. Um, but yeah, I got I got the 512k in, and uh, and then immediately ran the 512k tester program and it came clean. We ran uh, the Donkey Kong that came clean, and then uh, to pay back. Curtis, I uh, humored him and got ease of use going, and uh, it was actually really cool. And I'm gonna play with it more because it's actually a really nice environment. Um, yeah, and now you have to order all of Nick's games too because he helped too. Yes, I have to. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'll be I'll be getting Popstar Pilot. I'll, that's one of the reasons I wanted Five Twelve was for Popstar Pilot, and uh, so yeah, I'll be ordering that. And um, yeah, it was actually a really really uh, easy procedure once once I got the fourth ram chip out i was an expert and uh at pulling ram chips and uh the capacitors were a little scary like i said but yeah it went in really nice and i'm thrilled so are you are you ready to offer your services to everybody else now that was in the same boat as you and you'll start doing your <laughs> upgrades or uh, you can uh, compete compete against richard now <laughs> well, um, i, I want to thank curtis and nick for uh for being there for me and they didn't take off on me I, I was joking with them that uh you know once the ramp just wrote they'd hang up on me and leave me alone leave me to my own devices but they didn't do that uh, no we were just and, hoping for the magic smoke to come out but unfortunately yeah. didn't. actually fortunately it didn't happen we were just <laughs> laughing so hard <laughs> thanks, thanks to coco man who sent me the uh the memory as, as a gift i really appreciate that and thanks to richard lorbieski for for creating it it was fantastic it's a so i'm very grateful for the coco community i have to say you guys have been really uh, really great to me i'm pretty relatively new compared to some of you and it's been really uh awesome in the help i've received and, and, and just thank you thank you guys hey, on behalf of nick and myself and everybody else in the coco community you're welcome and enjoy your 512k right. so the next step is a 609 to 609 uh, upgrade yes. see you guys are uh, to make at the same time you guys are enablers too. <laughs> Go back and look three videos ago behind me. There was no Coco stuff, so come on. I think I'm doing pretty pretty well. <laughs> I got a Coco two, a Coco three, an SDC, and a, a switcheroo car, a cable, and a bunch of stuff in two weeks. So I think I'm doing okay. Is that the switcheroo running now? No, I'm waiting for an adapter. So huh. I'm going through composite right now. 
just the Coco 3's native composite. Uh, I'm just waiting for the adapter that I can use to convert from SCART to. Uh, I'm going to go component actually. So. Baroda! Hello? So now that you're going to get into ease of use, you're going to have to get a mouse adapter from Mark Overholt. <laughs> yes, and I'm gonna I'm gonna brush up on my C because I love C. If, if there's one thing the Coca community is good at, is upselling. Oh, I know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you guys are enablers. I know. It's it's. it's, it's... Wait, okay. but don't buy yet. <laughs> okay. Well, we got two more people that want to jump in here with some stuff. Uh, we'll go to Simon first, and then we'll go to Alan Hoffman. So take it away, Simon. Get off me if you Where'd you, you get that from? <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys stuck at my video? Okay, well, I guess Simon's taken away. I misread it. No. Yeah, you, you're yeah. fine. Okay, why don't we go to Alan Hoff? Okay, I, I had to go back and reread something because I thought it was a non disclosure. Actually, it's not. This is my evaluation agreement I signed between myself and RTSI for. Um, trying out uh, a current version of microware os9 that's going to be running on my newest os9 computer so this is my new os9 computer thank you john strong i'm finally going to use it for something more appropriate uh, it's a raspberry pi zero and i have the code now for microware's os9 for arm ported to raspberry pi that i am going to be working on and evaluating this weekend What's the processor specs on that? How fast? It's about Muted one down. gigahertz, I believe, on the, the the zero. Yeah, and it's you know it's only like five twelve, whatever you know. Ram, it's it's, yeah. it's a small megabytes. Yeah. yeah, but ironically, it's probably more powerful and bigger than anything that existed when I last worked for Microware in the ARM processing that we had. And I saw some really amazing stuff back then. I'm just hoping it can like boot a whole lot faster than Linux does. <laughs> I was pretty impressed with the Raspberry Pi 1 and running the Linux distro on. It's like, wow. <laughs> I, have a, <clears throat> I have a Pi Zero not doing anything. So I'm looking forward to Alan's port of OS 9. Now you're going to port, o not Nitrous 9, you're going to port OS 9. Because I guess there is no Nitrous 9 port to the ARM. Well, this is actual real microware OS 9 for ARM. It used to be called OS 9000. That's been around since, you know, the 1990s. It's just been revised and updated. There's a whole new company now, a worldwide group of people that own microware OS 9. And right. this is going to be part of the community edition that we're going to be able to get uh, dirt cheap if we just want to play with it, including a license. So if you want to make a certain amount of products based on like a Raspberry Pi, um, you're going to be able to license an OS 9 to distribute with it for your projects. So it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. It'll be the cheapest official supported OS 9 system. It'll cost less than OS 9 ever did on the color computer. I'm looking forward to it, so I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah, Alan, shoot me some information on that if you would. What was Simon showing there? That was just a Raspberry Pi with a, a, a seven-inch touchscreen connected to it. Ooh. So yeah, I've got one of those. <laughs> That'd be cool. Touchscreen OS nine. 
system that I've got every Raspberry, Raspberry Pi computer and a few of them just sitting there collecting dust. Ooh, there's a new one. And now there's a Raspberry Pi 4 in the works, which is actually going to have a um, M.2 uh, adapter on it so you can hook up an SSD to it. You have to admit they're pretty cool, those two. Oh, yeah. Well, the the thing is, booting's a little slow because of that SS, I mean, because of the uh, SD card. But you can imagine oh. what it's going to be like with a, a, a regular computer's M.2. Oh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be wicked fast. You're looking at load speeds of about um, 50 times faster. That's going to make it nice because I have to admit. That's going to solve my problems. Yeah, when I, I when I watch a uh, Raspberry Pi boot, I'm going, am I watching an old uh, 9200 terminal program, you know, with the text scrolling by is just really slow. It's kind of like watching you, know, you load all those stupid fonts I have in there. No. <laughs> yeah, we'll try installing Windows IoT on a Raspberry Pi. Then you're talking slow boot. <laughs> so, hey, can hey. I? Uh, just thank everybody that gave me feedback on the, the new Joystick design at the fest. Just real quick, thank you to everybody. And what was Good. the feedback? What did they say? Uh, they all seem to like it very well. Okay, it's a very smooth moving. They uh, like the joy the buttons very well because they're little arcade buttons. Uh, down to liking the cable being flat and flexible as it is. Smooth filling, uh, the little extras, the, the left and right switch on it, they like that. So, pretty much, you know, liked it across the board. Now, is that an actual Coco product now, or is that a future product? Uh, I had somebody sold at the fest, the first pre production run. Okay. And, and so, I am taking, you know, people, if they want to email me, so they would be interested in one. I'm judging about what it's going to take to do actual run of them. You have a price for them? Uh, $35 is my aim price. Uh, hopefully, I can keep it at that. Okay. All right. It's all based on how large your production runs are, right? Yeah. It, it, could, it could creep up to 40 Uh but I'm going to make a little PC board in there, make the wiring down and, you know, see what kind of quantities and stuff. So, yeah, I'm trying to keep it reasonable with it. And and I know back in the day that would look to me like it's totally unreasonable, but, you know, oh. parts of that cost more than what a Black Beauty <laughs> did, you know, a lot more. And it's a lot smoother. So, uh, again, I had some very positive feedback with that at the, at the fest. Uh, I could have sold more if I had more made. And uh, so thanks to everybody who gave me some good feedback. That helps me to in, improve and see whether the, to do more of them, so. What would it take to get you to make a paddle box? The paddle box is on my list of things to do, okay? I actually have some, uh, some designs. I've actually did some things about making maybe two paddles in one box, single mm -hmm. paddles designs. Uh, it is, is on my list of things that I, I'm, I'm planning to do. And it's actually simpler than and easier to do than what this is. Mm -hmm. But this was what I thought is what we really needed for some things 
in the community was another source for analog joysticks. You know, I have a design for the arcade ones that I'm going to be producing, hopefully. But, uh, you know, if you don't have an analog stick, unless you run into a ham fest and find something, the old PC <laughs> one that you're willing to convert, you know, you're kind of out of luck. And so this is kind of the reason for making sure this was available and you get some feedback at the fest. Well, the thing I've always wanted was a uh, paddle, um, you know, for the cocoa. We never really got one from Tandy. And basically, you would have one button, one paddle in the box, and you would have two boxes hooked up to one joystick for it. That way, you yes. could have a total of four. Exactly. So a total of four, you could do warlords. Uh, that's actually what it, one of the reasons I was working on it was considering doing that. But if somebody like you decided you wanted to do that, I would defer to the better skill level. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Have you make the paddle control? But yeah, yeah, me do the software. I consider that uh, that might be a good lesson plan when I start doing the uh, assembly language classes again. Yeah, you're you're kind of low in volume, at least on my side. I don't know if that's a for everybody. Is that a little else. better? Yes, that's better. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, that's one of the reasons I was looking at doing that. Okay. And I've actually uh, done a little Y cable type thing box, and I've done shipped one, and oh. I do need to do a PC board to actually do a Y cable that you can plug multiple devices into. Okay. So, yeah, I'm planning to do that. So uh, there'll be adapters, so you can do, you know, two paddles for each. Mm -hmm. H joystick controller. So that is on my, my list of plans to do. Okay. I've also considered doing a paddle box that has two in one, not so much for games, but I'm thinking it could very be useful for uh, other items like sound boards and stuff adjusting. Uh, with the new sound chips we have to be able to analog adjust that kind of feel more analog feel. I also picked up uh, a few sliders, mm. potentiometers to maybe make a box with, to play with. And so, yeah, I've got a list of things that I, I want to do with that. And the, the paddle's definitely on the list. And it was just trying to get things that would do and fit, you know, in a pretty small design and simple to do. I was going to say, I've got one here somewhere. Oh, okay. Uh, that's part of the sample. Buttons hopefully would go on the side. And I may actually have two buttons on it. Hmm. Okay. But if you like plug it into the Y cable, and then only one would be available. Or they would both work the same because in the Y, because you can't feed four buttons into it, mm -hmm. the single joystick is the the adapter would then tie those together so you could use either button use it individually you could still have two buttons if you had application for that mm -hmm. that's what my my current plan is because you know that's just a plan at this point in time as we do have the pot in there some kind of layout on it uh you know trying to find out know, the proper switches it's going to hold up and stuff so that'll be some testing i need to make a little pc board and see how well they leads the seam to hold up and uh since you're interested you know if i get a prototype 
I may ping you and say, hey, try it out. Mm -hmm. Use it, abuse it, and see if I've done a good design on it. Okay. Okay. And uh, basically finding small switches that fit in a size like this. Um, the box with maybe two of these would probably be something more on a larger box and fixture. So I could use the arcade buttons on it. Because, you know, pretty much we know they're going to hold up pretty good. And if I use the arcade button on that, that's going to, you know, like significantly increase the size of the, the joystick. And I kind of like that small size. Mm -hmm. But it might be something we need to get, go to. But it's still prototype stages, experimenting. Uh, the one thing I definitely like, and this one's a little too thin, I like the little thumb mm. uh, indent yeah. here. Yep. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I've seen it on high-end equipment, ham radio equipment, and it's like, hey, that's really nice. So I had to try it out. And so, yeah, it is really nice. So you can either play it the old traditional type way or just use your thumb here. Mm -hmm. Plus, yeah. it also gives you a visual feedback of where you are in the uh, paddle. Yes, yes, definitely. So, you know, I'm trying to do, and, and, and you know, this is the idea. I'm trying to take these to maybe say the next level over what we had. And, uh, but again, they're kind of custom here. These are really pain in the neck to build. They're all hand wired and everything. So I've got to change that a little bit to, be, to make them practical to produce. So, you know, I've got to put a PC board and, and do that. And, and I can design it. I just don't use KiCad often enough. So when I go back to do something, I have to go back through the tutorials all again to remember everything. Well, if somebody wants to get one of your joysticks, how would they go about it? Well, right now, just email me is how, how we, we're doing it. Okay. Um, and how do they email you? Okay. John Strong at Hotmail.com. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. You there and say you have one on the list. Uh, and I, I'll put you on the list. Okay. Uh, and and you also, uh, for payments, you take PayPal, right? Yes. In spite of them trying to force me to give them the social security number, I'm still using PayPal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were doing this bit. Oh, we're going to, you know, limit your account and a bunch of things. And I had a little row with them on the phone the other day, kind of annoyed at it, but most people do PayPal yet, so yes, I still take it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so your email, is it John Strong, all one word, or is it John.Strong? Just John Strong, okay. with the H and John, at Hotmail. And okay. so if you're interested on being on that list, uh, if I produce those, please let me know. That gives me an idea, you know. How much effort, you know, I got cysts from the Cocoa Fest, you know, those I would probably, that's all I was making, I would just hand wire those, okay? But, you know, I get enough on there, I'll find a PC board. Yeah, the thing to remember is these are custom printed cases, so it's not something that he's went out and bought 500 of them from a manufacturer. These are things that he's manufacturing himself, so he, he doesn't really keep a lot of inventory, and sometimes if he gets a rush, it may slow down a little bit. These machines aren't the fastest. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely a, a custom order, okay? And and if you email me and if I think it's there's something that's gonna hold up time, I'll tell you. And so uh, and I've told people to wait, send me on PayPal, okay? It's gonna, you know, I've got something going on this week. It'll be week. I will let you know when I get it done uh, and then you can PayPal me then. That way I'm not holding their money and they're worrying about it because they paid me something they're not getting. 
and so it is uh, strictly a very accustomed uh, deal and uh, and so this is I'm hoping you know with the planned move to new house I'll be able to set things up a little bit better mm -hmm. and if you can see the background here in an apartment it's a, it's a mess in here because I don't simply don't have place to put things and uh, so uh, actually, my wife wanted to go, I delayed her till tomorrow, wants to go to Ikea, so we can start looking at stuff for the new house, hopefully if it works there, to be able to put things in. We want to look stuff for the garage and make things that we can actually make some of this as a hobby a little easier instead of encroaching and, you know, have to move this to do that <laughs> type well, thing. John, you're like a lot of us. If I didn't have this green screen behind me, you'd be seeing an absolute mess. <laughs> <laughs> and I've actually thought about that. I've actually, I, I looked at and found one I could do that. And then I thought about, hey, I'll, I'll drop this screen behind me and uh, and actually do that. But yeah, it's it's there. That's what it is, you know. And uh, you know, I have to use this for my office, for my day job, and, and for everything else I do. And uh, fortunately, uh, there's a couple things sitting in the other, other room that my wife has let me do because she knows that there and we've been working on getting a house. So uh, I greatly appreciate a wife who understands the hobby and likes to go to Cocoa Fest with me at the Big Alp. <laughs> well, there's a keeper. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, does anybody, uh, oh, Richard, do you have something to announce? Uh, not right now. No. Nope. Oh, okay. I think uh, Chris Oliver had something. Okay, Chris. Hey, gentlemen. Uh, I, I just happened to be buzzing through, and uh, figure I'd say a quick hi. From uh, from Arlington, Virginia. Mm. Um, let me walk over here and grab it real quick. Okay. See, uh, everybody's place is a mess. Don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I don't know if you guys have seen this one before, but I, I'd never heard of this before. I just picked this up uh, about a week or so ago. It's called Remote Disc. And what's, it, what's, it, what's weird about it is I've never seen it in any of the Radio Shack catalogs anywhere, but apparently it is a program that allows the Coco to connect. Looks like, it looks like it allows the Coco to connect up to a Model 100 and use the and use the drive on the Model 100 as external storage. Did you guys? Has any of you guys heard of this before? I can't say I have. I haven't it's, heard it, about it. Check, huh. It's a. I'd, I'd never. I'd never. I'd never heard of it before. But it's a. It's a legitimate product that runs on the Coco, and it basically you got to have the right cableage, but it will allow you to interface to the Model 100 and use the oh. disc. Looking at the catalog number, though, that prefix, the seven whatever, wasn't that the express order for the third party? 700? Stuff? Yeah. It, it, it looks like it's 263849. Well, the very, very top there, the that top, catalog, top 7 0. Yeah. I think yeah, that I, was express order stuff, which was. Yeah, the 700s were the, the express. So it's just interesting. Something kind of like Drivewire. Is, is that why I probably never showed up in like any other Radio Shack catalogs anymore? Yeah, you'd have to get this special express order catalog where the, you could order like distal controllers and stuff. So that, yeah, that would have been rare. Uh, well, it well, looks well, like I, the standard uh, cable though, the 26 one. Yeah, it uses the 26 3014 looks like. It the, just shows that there's nothing, you know, there's no new ideas. Even DriveWire was not a new idea. Yeah. 
<laughs> right. Though drive wire is a fair bit faster, I would guess. Gee, Question. I wonder. I, I wonder if drive wire would get sued because. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chris, how long have you been in uh, Tococo? What's your history? So uh, <clears throat> when I was twelve, uh, I got a. I got a. Uh, my dad gave me a, a, a Coco One 4K, and that's what I learned how to program on as a kid. Still have it. And uh, I don't have that one, but I've got a. I've got one that's souped up at 64K um, with uh, with DCB in it uh, that I that I picked up on. When I turned 40, I got nostalgic and started collecting again. <laughs> Welcome uh, to the club. Like like yeah. like, like everybody else on here. Yeah, yeah. it's a, a common affliction. Club. Yeah, and, and, and and so so I found I found a I found I found a three thousand one model that was that was Radio Shack up, upgraded with the official you know sticker on it from the uh, from from the shop. Wow, sixty four K with uh, with with uh, extended color basic, and they actually put the sixty four K badge on the on the case. And so and so and so it's never been opened except for just by somebody at, at a local Radio Shack who upgraded it. So I was able to pick that up, and that's kind of become the uh, the souped-up version of what I had as a kid. Do you have a three? Um, I, I when the three came out, I was in high school, and I and I and at that point I moved on to other stuff. Yeah. So, uh, but the but the other one that I want to pick up, I want to pick up a Model Three because when I was younger, when I was about ten, I I, I first started messing around on a, on a Model Three. And actually taught my entire my entire third grade class how to program on it during uh, social studies period every day. I took a different student each day and showed them how to print a pixel on this light of a pixel on the screen and print their name. So I, I want to find one of those old gray beasts at some point too, if I can. Uh, Tandy assembly would probably be a place to start. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's great to meet you guys. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. Come on again. So, so now, now I got to now I got to pick up a Model 100 so I can test this thing out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know Jason has a drive for the thing there, so you should be right, that, hook up with him. Same, that's the same drive I just picked up for the Model 100. That little. Yeah, I think I just picked one of those up. There you go. You want to put that? On you guys the, will have uh, to collaborate on that. <laughs> put, put that up on the archive. So I wonder, does the Model 100 drive, is it a serial interface, or do you have to have the uh, that expansion box to uh, uh, use that uh, Cocoa to 100 interface? Uh, that's, that's a good question. I, I see that the, again, I haven't looked at it that much, but the, the, the Model 100 drive has a 25-pin uh, D subtype connector on it, a male connector, so... Well, 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 then you're fine because this thing just needs a four pin den to DB25. So, yeah, I'd probably just connect right to it. Probably. Interesting. Hmm. Yep. Wow. New ideas. Maybe that's why that drive was in with all that cocoa stuff. Maybe. I think Please. this is what Fletcher used. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You'll go far. Hey, Chris, how long have you been watching uh, Coco Talk? I'm just curious. It's, it's actually my first one. Wow. I'll, uh, I'll, show you, I'll show you guys one of the little interesting little, little artifact. 
Oh, or, the original uh, Star Blaster from Microcom. The cartridge version. Yeah, the uh, it kind of looks, looks pretty homebrew, kind of. Did you have it for a long time? or? I've had this thing for a couple of years, but I, I don't know if the manual even exists for it, but I do have the, the cartridge. That was one of the very few third-party cartridges made. Yeah, it's got this. It looks like it was put out by Microworks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like I want to find that in a. In yeah, a they're lot. asteroids clone. Yeah, that Tandy. Just... Yeah, Tandy could easily put out the cartridges because they manufacture them in such large quantities. They could get the cost down. Third-party people doing it, not so easy. Not so easy. So you don't see yourself having a color computer three in the future. Or do you have well, emulator? But here, well, here's the thing. I, I, it's funny. I'm, I guess I'm kind of a, just like a nostalgic purist because, like, I've only collected exclusively for the Coco one. So, in other words, 64K and under, I'll, I'll get anything that I can find. But you know, it's more for just pure nostalgia. So, so I, I'm I'm literally you know all all silver case Coco one, and that's about it. Um, it's just kind of a you know I ended up in and just like just like probably many of you I ended up in an IT career because of you know programming as a kid so it's kind of an homage to you know the computer that helped build my living. There's nothing wrong with that. So well, it's just that's cool. It's just kind of a way to give it some honor, you know. So I I kind of have a Smithsonian exhibit in the office pretty much. <laughs> it's all functional. It all works and so. Yeah, get a couple of shots of it and throw it up on uh, on our group. Oh, sure. So, did you say you showed your, you showed your students how to program on it? Yeah, it, it, I, was the, I was I was like the one I was the one kid in the class that that knew that knew some basic. I think it was like this was probably fourth grade, and our class had a TRS had a Model Three that was set up in the in the corner that we could just that was just in the room. And the teacher made a deal with me. So during social studies every day, I took one. I took one kid every day for about a month until I'd done about all thirty of them, and walked him through, you know, the typical print your name and then go to ten type loop, and then showed him how to light up a pixel. Oh, that's cool. And what's funny is that was the that was the one C I ever got in grade school. It's because I wasn't paying attention during social studies for a month. <laughs> so I got like my 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 one and only C in all of grade school because I was too busy teaching kids how to program on it. <laughs> there you go. And Chris, you said you lived in Virginia. Well, well, back back then, back then it was up uh, Michigan City, uh, Northern Indiana. But now, uh, it, it, but now I'm in Arlington. Yeah, okay, in DC, very just cool. Near DC. So you have several of the VCF shows available to you. The VCF east and the vcf southeast yeah i just got to find time to go i got three very very young kids that kind of sap my strength <laughs> yeah, you, you never know you might find a model three at one of those shows you know the trick i think the trick is finding one that's in good shape because they're also banged up it's hard to find one that really looks mint um you'll never find one that looks mint you know kind of like finding the coca one that doesn't have you know you know the, the, the wear marks on where you know where the, where your hands rest on the keys you know you can repaint oh. one people have repainted them there are youtube videos yep yep and and, well, of course, and, of course, and of course i'm such a purist that i i actually prefer just for nostalgia's sake the chiclet keyboard i really do yeah you want to recreate your experience you had it as a kid because that's what i had as a kid so yeah. i mean it, it, it's like it, it's it. meant to be a time capsule i get it Okay, well, um, we're coming up on our next break. Uh, Nick, 
Uh, do you have a segment for this week? Well, I could just show off uh, my work with uh, Gunstar so far. Nothing too much to show, but we, we can just cover that if you want. Okay, we'll do a quick break, and then we'll come back to Nick, and we'll take a look at his latest project. Okay. Hi, it's Ron Dovo, Timberman, and this is Coco Talk. In a world where RGB produces black and white video, one cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Gogo3scartcable.com Some people have big plans after school. You know what Elliot's going to do? Jeff, too. Elliot's at work on a book report using Scripsit on Radio Shack's Color Computer 3. It hooks up to his TV. And Jeff's at his Radio Shack Color Computer 3 playing the newest football game. But wait, what's Elliot doing playing new Super Pitfall? And Jeff's having a blast with a new math tutor. You never know what you might try with more than 100 programs for fun and learning. Radio Shack's Color Computer 3 comes with everything you see here. Other items each sold separately. Only at Radio Shack. We now return you to Cocoa Talk. Hey, anybody else ever notice on that last commercial, the Black Beauty is the newer style with the black handle? I'd say until you mentioned it. <laughs> Who dared to crush one of these on a commercial? Commodore 64. Who's dead to crush one of them? Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about Python bit. Okay, Nick, uh, why don't you take it away? Uh, yeah. your latest project here. Okay, well, uh, it's the we same the latest one as last yeah. time. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. We can make it's a professional show, shall we? So we better oh, have absolutely. it, yeah. Okay, well, uh, I've uh, been working on my Gunstar. Um, uh, I, I, I think last time I, I did my blog, I reported, uh, I, I was on a bit of a, a run there and I got a fair bit done, but I paused from there and then the, the next job was to get the sprites moving. Um, and that's a, a fairly complicated routine because um, it uh, has to be able to deal with, uh, at the moment, it's got five different uh, alien sprites that have to be animated on the screen and they have to um, fly certain flight patterns and all that. So I've got them at least flying down the screen in a sort of a semi-random fashion. There's still the uh, routine I call the alien scheduler that has to be put in to actually coordinate when these aliens are gonna appear, what aliens and what flight path. But I've put together just a little demo of the program so far. Uh, I'll just run it in BCC and I'll just share that screen. Um, hang on a sec. Now, I think there's a, a screen currently being shared at the moment and it's, I can't share it's mine free. yet. It's free now? Yep. Okay, yep. All right, so that is Gunstar coming up at the moment. 
Can you see that now? Yeah, we can see it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now that's the title screen. So I'm going to run this through VCC. So. Prepare for battle. Okay. Now we've seen this part before. We have got the uh, laser base on the on the bottom of the screen and the background coming down. Uh, at the moment, uh, I've just set it up so that when I hit spacebar, it just launches a whole lot of aliens at the top of the screen. And of the five aliens that are, are currently in there, I'm only showing three because I don't want to don't want to give away everything. Uh, today I'll just le leave some surprises for people playing the game so you'll see three different aliens and I'll just press a button now and you'll just see a whole pile of them just come down and just float around the screen so as you can see I'll press it again they basically fly on fly around a bit and then fly away uh, and in the final game of course they'll be shooting and you've got to dodge them and at the moment of course uh, and uh, there's no collision detection but uh, as you can see the sprites are all quite well um, superimposed and merged with the scrolling background I'll just keep throwing aliens out and uh, I have got various um, um, can also fire but nothing nothing can be killed but uh, the main thing is that I've got the aliens now running and they're they're all animated and everything so this this version would be good for Steve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right. Die. He can't he can't die. <laughs> yeah, the only way training he level is yeah. if he's in God mode. Yeah, yeah, this is this is essentially God mode. That's right. Um, but yeah, the next the next step is to write the routine that'll actually schedule when, yeah. which alien, and which flight path to take. So at the moment, it's just got some r rough flight paths that I put in there, but. You know they uh so I'll, nick i'll fine tune that yep so next uh some of these guys are going to be worth more points than other ones yeah yeah there's there's they'll have um different points and the, and the way they attack will be different some of them will actually just fly more vertical uh others will swirl around on the screen and others later on will do loops and anyway i won't, I won't say what the others are but they're they're in there but I just for this demo i've just turned them off Got to leave some surprises for people playing the game, don't I? Mm -hmm. And I take it you're looking at also throwing in power-ups to change and yep. equip yourself. Yep, yep. There's uh, three different uh, firing styles in there. So there'll be another sprite that comes on where you have to, to gain uh, in the top top right of the screen. You can see I've got these gauges. So one gauge is for the energy of your ship. The other gauge is the, ener the uh, energy of your guns. And you do have a few um, extra um, weapons uh, there. Uh, you've got, as well as firing, you've got some thing called the fusion bomb. So I'll just throw out a few more aliens. But yeah, that's that's what Gunstar's up to at the moment. The the background repeating is just a level one background just being repeated over and over. Are you going to have any kind of music at all playing? Uh, well, at this stage, no, not not while the game's playing. As 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 we've heard so many times in the past, it's very hard to have good music playing in the background while the game's playing. So at this stage, no. Um, but we'll we'll see what we can do. I mean, it's got it's got all the sound effects. So, yeah, I think you can hear the sound effects in there at yep. the moment. Yep. Yeah. 
So, um, so the digital the digital sound effects are all in there. Uh, have you thought of, Have you thought about like a, a a motor sound or a hum or something or? Well, all that cost. It all costs. Uh, you know, the more you sound you trying to generate, the you know it just slows down the main the main game. So it, we don't have the freedom of a sound chip. Uh, whether I support one of the sound cards or or uh, a, uh, the multi pad the mega multi pack sound chip, I don't know at this point. I've got no information on. Well, I don't have those devices either. Um, but yeah, who knows? At this stage, uh, no. Yeah, so yeah, that's all I've got to show. That's cool. Thanks. Yeah, even in the early arcade games, they uh, didn't have a lot of music. It was later when they started yeah. having more elaborate sound hardware. You really do need a sound chip to play decent music. As it is, Gunstar doesn't really give enough CPU free time in the CPU to be able to do it via software. If I did that, the game would slow right down. Has anybody so. in the past uh, done a game where um, they would include a cassette of maybe some music that you could have the cassette port open and you could play music while you're Forest of Doom. Forest of Doom, yeah. 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 Cool. Bruce Bruce Moore's yeah, game actually had a set of MP3s and stuff you could play in the background through the cassette port. In the case of the arcades, um, there was a shark game that actually had an A-track in there, and the screams of the people dying when the shark ate them, and you were controlling the shark, they would just play the A-track sound. <laughs> and the video game Journey had a cassette. When you got through all the levels, the band played, and the audio came from the cassette. Right. Cool. Old school. Now, see, in, the, in the early days, yeah, you, you know. You know, sound had to improve like graphics. Well, one time I made a, a, a kiosk for a car dealership and I had the cocoa in it and I played a commercial that would roll itself. And um, they had the commercial from like TV or something recorded on a cassette and it would click on and play the cassette in a loop. And the com commercial, or the, you know, the uh, graphics would run. So it would be a continual, and it didn't have to, like, the sound ended and started, and it, irregardless of what was on the screen, and it didn't really matter because it was all just advertising anyway. Mm -hmm. So that that was interesting. So Nick, yeah. uh, what's the next yeah. step in your game? The next, sorry, the next step. Yeah, well, to actually get the aliens to come out, add intelligent parts of the game. And, at the moment, I'm just throwing them out by space bars to test right. them, but now it's the uh, this the sprite manager program has to go in. The thing that decides, okay, at what point, what aliens, and what flight path they will take throughout the whole game. So that's uh, that's the next step, and then after that, hopefully, I'll get the firing. Uh, well, I can fire, but they're adding the firing, they're firing, so they're firing at me, and then putting collision detection, of course. I mean, the bullets are no good if no one dies, so, so you've got to have the collision detection in there. <laughs> and, and when are you adding the real-time clock in the upper left corner? That was my question. No, oh. well, <laughs> I could easily so I can add tell one it's in two there. in the morning, I should be getting to sleep and quit playing this game. <laughs> 
Do you also have to make it so that the main spacecraft, when it gets hit, it has to be destroyed? Or you have yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, this, there's explosions to go in and there's boss aliens to go in and there's another three le more levels or background uh, for the three extra levels that I've got to put in there as well. Got some did ideas say, on, on that. Did you say it was 6309 only or is it going to be 6309? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing it 6309. I, I figure there's enough 6309s out there, so it's for them because uh, I really do need the speed. I mean... Yeah, the, there's a fairly fancy um, or very flexible sprite routine in there, which makes all that the overlaying of sprites very easy. It's actually very easy to, to code, um, but yeah, there is a bit of a price to pay, in the, in, and it does require a six three zero nine just to get that extra speed. Yeah, finally, uh, for those those folks who are going to upgrade their uh, cocos with a sixty three zero nine. Unless you've done this type of work before, find somebody that has done it before to do it. Those traces come off the circuit board a little too easy. Yeah, yeah. I can show you examples of those too. <laughs> of course, there's have some a... people that can do the work for you, right, Richard? Oh yeah, yeah, I, I, mm -hmm. I do it. And there's several other people that uh, are more than capable of doing it as well. But yeah, if if you've never done this or, or you know or have very little experience, I mean you're absolutely right. Get somebody else to do it. It's worth the money. Uh, yeah, again, and at the I, same time you can upgrade to two meg too. So yeah, you could do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's a shame that the Coco never had socketed CPUs like in the Coco ones. Yes. Yeah. Totally agree. Well, it looks like we've been joined by uh, Tony Pedraza. Hey there, Tony. Hi, Tony. Good day, y'all. Just listening for a while. Oh, welcome to the show, Tony. Long time no see since the fest. <laughs> <laughs> Still recovering from the fest, I take it, Tony? Oh, yeah. Yeah, just about done. I'm just about caught up. Mm. Did, did you get a final like, head count? I'm going to call it at 122. Is that that's higher than last year, or about the same, or I'm trying to remember? Yeah, considering we only had about fifty-six to sixty stubs turned in, and a lot were missing. Uh, best estimate last year was about one seventeen. So I'd say a few more this year. Yes. Good. Cool. By my counting, not by Lonnie's. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, with Lonnie, if you bought a three-day ticket, you're counted as three people. Yeah. <laughs> so are the booth babes included? Sorry, didn't understand. Uh, are the booth babes included? Well, they were, you know, they're exhibitors. Yes, so they, they are included in that number. Yeah, okay. They may be exhibitors, but they're also attendees. Mm-hmm. And I'm imagining what we're expecting more for next year because of the 40th anniversary of the of the Coco. So, we're, everybody, if you haven't made it out before or you haven't made it out in a few years, uh, next year is definitely the one to go to. Are we going to have the cake with the person coming out of the cake and everything? Uh, <laughs> it'd be a Coco coming out of the cake. It'll be me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, oh wait, yeah, no, yeah. we want attendance numbers to go up, Tony. Yeah, don't don't say that. Oh, 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 sorry. <laughs> well, we can at least do this at the dinner. 
we can go to Costco and get a bunch of sheet cakes. Yeah. <laughs> We have a cake like we had at Penn Fest. There you go. Yeah, yeah that was good when you and Nick and, and everybody else organized that. Or Ron Bull, I guess. Ron Bull. Yeah, did. we can get one of the three amigos from uh, the show up uh, to that, too. That is <laughs> <laughs> we have a vote for cake. The three amigos. Yep. Well, we had cake this year. Have cake and eat it, too. Okay, let's see. Do, is that about Nick? <laughs> it, Nick? Yeah, that's about about it for me. Yeah, I have. That's all I've done. Uh, what I might do, actually, I was just thinking to close off. How about we run a commercial? But this time, I'll I'll uh, share a uh, I'll share my screen. Oh, um, can you unshare that, Mark? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I have another type of color computer commercial. It's an Australian one. It's an Australian Tandy commercial, which I don't think anyone has seen. So oh, I'm going to cool. run a commercial. So, so here it goes. This Christmas, Tandy has a very special offer, a family color computer pack to take away at a very special price. This family computer comes complete with software and costs an incredible $449, a saving of $241.69. It's powerful, educational, and ideal for the young and young at heart. The easy way to start computing. The color computer family pack from Tandy. Get it while it's hot. Tandy, the biggest electronic store in Australia. So there you was, go. There was oh, a, was that donut dilemma? That was. That's yeah, right. Yeah, I think that was a bit of a plug there. He snuck. That's in. right. Yeah. So everyone go run <laughs> out now and Bias. go buy donut dilemma from your Tandy store. Um, but uh, yeah, I found that um, almost. Uh, it was in someone else's video. They they were playing that ad, and I thought, hang on, that's that's my software. <laughs> Back in the day when Tandy was selling it, I'd never seen that commercial, so I thought I grabbed it and uh, I thought I'd play it on Coco Talk. Pretty I like job. the fact they did that whole bundle though. Like you got the computer, yeah, you got the, the cassette bundle. recorder, you got the joysticks, you got it some was games. A Christmas. It was a Christmas package. So yeah, a Coco, a cassette player, uh, several programs, uh, of which Donut Dilemma was one. Black Beauties, um, for four hundred and forty-nine Australian dollars. Of course. Um, I know we never is... did such a bundle like that here in Canada. Uh, Steve and the rest of the panel from the states, or did Tandy ever do that kind of a deal in the states? Not too much because the thing was they always wanted the lowest price they could have. When mm. you do a bundle, you raise the price. So yeah, they, even though they, you're getting more stuff, it's still, yeah, yeah, it's just doesn't... like you know, it's, it's just it, you know. So they would just sell the computer cheaper, like say thirty bucks off for Christmas or something. That's it. That's all. In do. addition to the company-owned stores, there was the franchisee stores, so they had to worry about them too, and a lot of times. You know, like if you do a bundle, you want to discount the bundle, but they don't want to discount the product because if they sold the product individually, then it will, you know, Tandy would have to pay for the discount. Uh, everybody hey, was cheap. Hey, Mark Overholzer. <laughs> Mark Overholzer. Yeah, yeah. What? Did uh, <laughs> did Apple ever do any kind of thing like that? I don't remember that they did. They were always pretty premium on their products. They didn't like to discount stuff. Plus, plus Apple didn't sell direct except at the very beginning and then later on they were Yeah, they were also their third-party stores. So. But I did get <clears throat> I did get a bunch of deals from my uh, local Apple dealer. Right. Like <clears throat> like the original metal box disc 2s. I went in there one time. It was Team Electronics, which was a 
fairly national chain based in Minnesota and our local one where I lived. Um, it said, Hey, you're interested in a second disc drive, right? I said, yes. Yeah. yeah, we got one here in the box. It's like, you know, slightly used, but we'll let it, let you have it for like 150 bucks, which is like half price. <laughs> so sometimes they'd sneak you stuff <laughs> if you're a good customer, but yeah, they didn't have like things uh, usually. They did have a promo one time. They did one time where they had a month where they gave away a computer system a day for 30 days. They alternated between an Apple IIc complete package or a Macintosh 512, I think. And I actually have a friend from college that won one of the Macintoshes. That would but be he, the next question. <laughs> yeah, but he uh, he didn't uh, he didn't like I didn't have Mac. He had Apple II, so he said, "Well, can I trade it for a comparable amount of other stuff?" So he actually got a whole bunch of parts and pieces and stuff, and uh, he came up with uh, the serial card, the serial interface, and it's like they're 140 bucks, right? I said, "So what do you do with all this extra stuff?" He says, "Well, I don't know. Are you interested in any?" I said, "Sure, I'd be interested in the serial card. How much?" He said, "70 bucks." So that's half price, brand new. Sure, 70 bucks. <laughs> So. Yeah, the, yeah, the closest Tandy ever came to quote unquote a bundle in the States was if they incorporated the floppy disk drive with the Coco, you know, mm. as a package deal. But it was not in a single package. You just got both of them for that price and you might have saved 10 bucks. <laughs> Commodore were pretty big in uh, box packages with their Commodore 64 and Amigas, especially in Europe. Yeah, the more you sell directly to consumers without getting uh, a lot of companies involved, it's easier to do bundles. Yeah. And speaking of bundles, um, if, if you just just to give Nick a little plug there, if you want that donut dilemma, you can still get it. It's bundled in with uh, Popstar Pilot, <laughs> along with the whole back catalog. So. Now he's gonna be expecting a royalty there. Yeah, that's, we never <laughs> negotiated a price for this comment. Call now. <laughs> Operators are standing by something. Who's bonus PenFest footage, too. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm still waiting for my royalty check on that. Me, too. <laughs> Featuring feature, feature, some, some of the panel today with more hair. <laughs> or less gray hair, in my case. No hair comments. <laughs> hey, you know, I have less hair. I think Curtis has a little less hair because he, he had the mullet back then. Yep, I did. That's less hair by choice. Well, you got to you know, remember, you... in the case of David, he's a bit Australian. His hair is down under. <laughs> oh, grown. Oh, crikey. On the chin. Oh, isn't that something that should be on the after dark? <laughs> is We're getting there? close to that. Somewhere in the world, it's dark. There you go. <laughs> The other Steve is here somewhere. You know, we, we've been uh, seeing that uh, we've discovered that uh, sticking a computer out in the sun will actually whiten it again. So looking at David Ladd's photo just there on the screen, you know, with a nice white bald head, I can understand you. Do you spend a lot of time outdoors, David? <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't. I spend it behind the computer keyboard. Well, I was In a just dark, thinking dark the room. power of the sun it whitens everything. Yeah, you just retrobited your head. That's what I thought happened. Sorry. <laughs> well, folks, we're coming up on our, you know, three hours mark. And unless somebody's got a yeah, speaking of related news item, I think we're going to have to put this puppy yeah. to bed soon. Well, I do have of lightning. Go ahead, Ron. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Curtis. 
Uh, no, Ron can go first. We were talking about the Retrobyte earlier, and we never did yeah. actually get back oh, to it. Oh, okay. So. Go ahead. You want to intro it? Yeah, I mean, basically, retrobiting up until recently has been, you know, using peroxide and and you know, culling, covering it up with sheets of you know plastic and stuff, putting it on the sun and doing this combination of chemicals and sunlight. But it was recently published on YouTube uh, that you actually don't need the chemicals at all. You just need to bleach the plastic and sunlight, and it's based on UV light. So a few people in the community, Alan Huffman, Ron DeVoe, and a few of the people over in Britain have been trying it over the last week or two. And Ron's here to tell you some of the results. Okay. Well, what we see here is a uh, uh, joystick, which uh, was pretty yellow. But I must say, at one time, I did spread some of that goop on here and set it out in the sun, and it did some lightning. But actually, setting it in the sun brought it the rest of the way. Then... I also did my controller for the uh, plug-in power, and this turned out lovely. It's nice and light again. We should yes. mention Ron does have a, a bulb above him that actually is putting out some yellow lights. This, this stuff is still looking more yellow yeah. than it actually is. Yeah, actually, I probably should turn it off. This is my uh, TP10. It was pretty yellow, and it's come up uh, a few shades. It's looking a lot better. It's not quite as white as the bottom is, but um, I need to set it out longer. And then uh, this DMP-110, if you can see, it was way yellow. Um, this sucker, if you open up the lid, you could tell the difference between the edge and the inside and the um, outside. It was uh, quite a bit yellow on the outside, but now it's looking real good. Not quite a white yet, but it's looking great. Then um, I also did my Coco-1 white case and the keyboard has come up really well the case itself has still a little bit of uh, yellow in it but I think I don't know that these were real white maybe when they were made I'm not really sure well those are painted aren't they that style case I'm not no sure. not no. the white ones okay you see the bottom is has always been protected and um the, the top is a slight yellow, but the keyboard's a nice shape. Keyboard come from a different uh, machine, obviously. I think this one had a Chiclet keyboard at one time. It probably uh, would have had the melted keyboard if it's the white cocoa. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, being out in the desert, do you have any problems with this things melting? No, not at all. Well, I would in uh, July or August when it's 120 degrees. <laughs> 120 degrees is horrid. It's terrible. It's very, very hot. So yeah. have you, you've experimented with the various computers and, and peripherals here. Have you had anything that you've tried that has not made any difference at all? Just that uh, Coco one, you know, the white one, the white one that hasn't yell, um, the yellowish, the yellowing hasn't gone away as much as I would have liked. That's but almost 49 centigrade. There's one, there's one other thing that it's tough to, to get to come uh, white is the keyboard. This one here was out in the sun for a while, but as you can see, it still has a little bit of yellow in it. I don't know if you can notice there that some of the keys are a little yellow. Yeah. Compare that to this one, which is a fairly new machine. We have a question in the chat room. How long did you leave the things out in the sun? Uh, two days, actually two and a half days for uh, the um, DMP-110. The first day I put it out for like 
four or five hours it was sunny and then it got cloudy the rest of the day and so they even say though that even on a cloudy day you're going to get some uv uh radiation come through so on 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 the whole though you'd say it's, it's actually quite successful it actually has helped yes yeah um the more sunshine direct the uh better the results you know and another thing on my um uh i had a coco max cartridge and it was half yellow <laughs> from, oh yeah because uh, half was plugged in and half was out right? yeah and uh, uh it has it it has come real close to even but you could still tell it was yellowed some but uh if i leave it out longer it'd probably go completely white which uh you know if you can put something out safely without having anybody snatch it away from you and, and, <laughs> and you have a uh, constant sun for most of the day why not and it doesn't seem to affect the plastic at all and another thing the guy in that video mentioned that the um the actual yelling is yellowing is only on a very thin veneer of the surface of the of plastic it doesn't actually go through he took a key and he cut it in half and you can see that it's just the absolute top surface that has that uh yellowing so when the sun hits it and changes the uh properties of it it's just the surface that's getting it on something you might want to try back in the day i worked for a computer company that repaired uh, monitors and systems and we would clean them with like comet or bleach and then we would hit them with armor roll and since armor roll is meant to protect car dashboards and steering wheels and whatnot and it probably protects them from uv it might be interesting to see if armor roll would keep a, a computer from turning yellow again yeah one thing about armor all i never liked was the greasy look mm. <laughs> you know agreed it had like a, a filmy there is stuff though he mentioned a uv um thing that you can slather on your machine that doesn't really leave a uh you know a tint or a um uh, the glossy the residue yeah residue and it actually does uh uv protection of some kind do you know what that is or no we we'll have to go back and look at the was so that are you auto... talking about the 8-bit guy video or the other no. guy the other guy the other guy that has a really soft voice that'll make you go to sleep after about 10 minutes <laughs> that's gotta be parafractic because people always say his voice is very calming so his basically the bottom good. line is if you got good uh, uv out there like what you get in the spring and summer uh, this is a good, cheap way to get your cocos looking good again. Yep. I'm definitely have to give that a try because one, one of mine is quite yellow now. So, of course, up there in Canada, you probably have to keep it out for a week. Oh no, we since we're further up north in the summer, our, our days are much longer than yours. Like it's daylight from five till ten at night. So yeah, but you're still got more. that angle. Oh, that's true. You don't get as much. Not, not as much though. I mean, at that point, yeah. the angle of the Earth is we're getting a bit more sunlight, but. And we get up to 40 degrees Celsius, 104 degrees Fahrenheit here, too, so. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's not the dry heat, is it? No. <laughs> here in the prairies it is, but it's dry cold and dry heat. <laughs> not the heat, it's the humidity, yeah. yeah you guys have the humidity down by the Toronto area and Ottawa area because you've got, got the Great Lakes, but up here it's, it's pretty dry. Well, do we have anything else for the show, Curtis? 
Well, I did have a bunch of news stories keyed up, but I don't think we need to go through them all. Uh, maybe I'll just, and rather than sharing screens and stuff here, I'll just mention where they came from, and we can. I'll just kind of do a quick wrap up of them. Okay. Um, so first one, uh, congratulations to the Coco Crew. John Linville mentioned that they've uh, exceeded ninety thousand total downloads over the entire run of their show now, which is a nice milestone to hit. I'm not sure when they're going to hit a hundred thousand, but I'd imagine it'd be later Soon. this year. So. And since they're the kind of show that inspired us to start in the first place and also inspired people to start going to the fest again, got to give them a shout out for that. Um, Fedora Steeman had been looking into the Motorola RMS chipset. And if you've read the uh, Boise Bill Luguidas uh, history book on the Coco, that was the chipset that Tandy was originally thinking of using on the Coco 3. It was 68,000 and 69 compatible, um, supposedly. But it was over budget and uh, you know wasn't being produced in time. And Tandy eventually switched to the Gimme. Plus, from what I understand, it wasn't really good with the six eight oh nine. It was just like barely passable. But uh, it had been rumored for a while that that had been basically just uh, a spec. It never got fully produced beyond the prototype stage. But uh, Fedora found some uh, machines that actually are made with it that actually were sold uh, six eight thousand base machines. So it's kind of interesting to see what uh, what was out there. So he's got a, there's a whole discussion on Facebook uh, about that with some links to actual documents on some of these computers that were sold. BBC Micros, I think, were some of them. Um, quick mention, Ease of Use Beta 4 Release 2 is out. That was basically just a bug fix because we discovered that Dexter on uh, two meg machines didn't run properly. It wasn't a hardware issue. It doesn't matter which two meg upgrade you had. It was a little software bug from the way Alan back in 92 tried to make it work on all Cocos. And none of us had two meg back then, so none of us tested it. So I had two meg after the fest, tested it, and it didn't work. So I released a fix. We also threw a couple extra games in there while we're at it. I threatened to start a drinking game every time Curtis mentions ease of use. You, so you, you, wanna... you better get your Alcoholics Anonymous card ready then. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jason already talked about his stuff at Hamvention, so I skipped that one. Um, there is some talks, I guess, Brendan Donahue's mentioned, and Ron Klein is talking with the MAME people about getting Coco VGA possibly emulated in MAME which I think would be a huge help for people wanting to develop software for it. They wouldn't need the actual hardware to test stuff out. If you want to use 64 column mode, the extra colors, the redefinable character sets, et cetera. So I'm really hoping that project goes through. I have one now finally, but it'd be nice for people uh, that you know, can't get it or they don't have a compatible motherboard to fit it on with the current designs to be able to program for it. It's an amazing card. It sure is. Yeah. Um, the project that Nick and I did with the palette settings on the Coco 3 for cold Coco 1 and 2 P mode 1 and 3 games, uh, which you've, we've discussed on the show before, has actually been starting to get some feedback with some alternative colors from other people now and in some Coco VGA support. So there's been stuff like Invader's Revenge, there's been one for Puyan, a few others <clears throat> where they've actually uploaded the disc images where you can, if you have a Coco VGA, you can redefine the palettes and then play it with the same type of colors we're seeing on the Coco 3 or even better colors. Plus, you can control the border on those, which you can't do in the Coco 3, so actually it's some enhancements there. So if you've been following that thread on Facebook, you try the, some of those if you have a Coco VJ, some pretty amazing looking stuff, which you can do with the proper four colors instead of just the four that the Motorola chip picked. Um, another one was, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name correctly here, Andre Ballista is working on an external video card for the Coco 1, 2, and 3, which is based on Coco Demos, and I can't remember what his real name is, but that's his handle. He's doing a thing called the Word Pack 2 Plus. Now, if you remember, the old Word Pack was an 80-column card using the 6845 uh, Motorola chip. Uh, this is actually using a Yamaha V9958 VDP video display processor chip with its own onboard 128K of video RAM. 
Um, it supports RGB. It has hardware sprites up to 16 colors and 32 sprites on the screen at once, of which eight can be on the same horizontal line. Has 32, 40, and 80 column text modes, which I mean, if you're plugging this into Coco 3, we already have that, but the Coco 1 and 2 could definitely use it. Um, it also has hardware horizontal and vertical scrolling. Once again, the Ooh. Coco 3 could do that as well. But the Coco 1 and 2, that's a nice addition. But it also has graphics up to 512 by 212, 16 color, which is beyond the Coco 3's reach. And also a 256 by 212, which has 256. And he also had a couple modes up into the tens of thousands of colors here. So it sounds like it's it's really nice for doing color on. And he's already got Nitrous 980 column drivers existed for it that Coco Demos written. So you actually can plug it into your Coco 1 2, get the right Nitrous 9 install, and you have 80 columns. Now, Andre's actually trying to make the board based on the original specs this guy did. And he, last I saw on the Coco uh, Facebook page, he hasn't quite got it working yet. He's having sync problems. He can see that it is trying to draw, but it's just not syncing to his monitor correctly. So uh, once he gets that fixed up, and if he can get that manufactured, because it kind of sounds like he was hinting he might manufacture the board for other people to buy it, that might be an available upgrade for all Coco owners and Dragon owners. Well, Nick, imagine that. Um, guns, a super gun star on that board. Super gun star, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it takes a slot, though, so you'll be using an MPI or... Yeah. Or if you maybe extend the the design with a ROM on it or something, hmm. and a sound chip. <laughs> Imagine the BMP <laughs> and a real time clock. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what we need is an SDC that plugs between the Coco and any other card. Well, that's kind of a Jim Brain's extender, right? Yeah. He's got the yeah. the sound yeah. chip and RAM and flash ROM and all kinds of real time clock and serial ports and stuff too. Yeah, uh, Jim Brand, and I've actually talked to him a little bit at the show, so. He's some minor mods and stuff, so looks like that's going to be coming fairly soon. Yeah, and I'm helping work on it, the Coco Mem Junior and the Coco Mem Senior, I'm calling it, but the Coco 3 version of it too, so hopefully some drivers for that stuff too later. And some extra features got on there that the standard upgrades don't have. Uh, next up on my list, Sam and Jonathan has been publishing um, up on Facebook the source code for the individual routines he used in his Coco 3 demo. So he's got you know some of the sound routines here, and he's got his you know rotating Taurus and stuff like that. So if you want to see how the madness was done, there's the actual source code. And eventually he's going to release a full demo with credits and stuff that actually didn't make it to the fest. So keep an eye out for that. But if you're learn, want, learning assembly language, you want to learn some neat tricks, there's a whole bunch of them in there for you to peruse through. Uh, Davey Mitchell on Discord and then later on Facebook released a YouTube video showing a dragon game called Aussie, which I think you dive bomb your bird and you have to dive bomb and catch fish or something like that. But it's also using the uh, the pastelli, you know, buff cyan magenta orange palette. Excellent contender for Nick's Coco Three pack. <laughs> <laughs> just just to mention, um, Boise Pete mentioned that the Rainbow Preservation Rainbow Magazine Preservation product for the original Rainbow, not the new one, um, is well underway at the Evangeline Parish Library. And he's got some pictures of some of the booklets put together. There's two different sizes. One if it's the magazine Rainbows, and a, a larger size if it was the uh, newspaper version of Rainbow and showing the progress and how it's all bound together and stuff, which is quite interesting. And it's quite nice that there's a professionally bound, you know, archival version of this happening. Um, Retro writing we already talked about. And Ed Snyder, that was my last bit of news for now, had some updates on his new Coco 3 3D printed keyboard with pictures on Facebook, showing, you know, you know 3D printed keys that he's doing. And it's actually, the, he's doing the whole keyboard. So it's the whole mechanical switch and everything else. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that being an upgrade for at least one of my Coco's here, so. Uh, Curtis. Yep. Uh, I don't think he's 3D printing the keys, just the surround. He has the uh, 
laser engraver that he's using on, on the, the uh, pre-injected key, pre key, you know, molded key. Oh, okay. Keys. And so he's doing the lettering with that laser engraver and then just the support and surround, I think it's being 3D printed. Okay, thanks for the correction. Actually, I think I didn't know that. I just wrote it down wrong. <laughs> Ed mentioned in a, another discussion that he was working on a 3D printed case to put the keyboard in so that he could make a little USB adapter board so you could then plug that keyboard into a PC running VCC or one of the other emulators so that you could have a correct Coco keyboard on the emulator rather than having to translate the PC keyboard. Which would work with the Coco Pi too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I did see that mentioned too. Ed's Ed's a machine. He's a, he's he's got to be a cyborg of some sort. He just comes up with so much <laughs> stuff, and, and he's manufacturing SDCs and everything else in the background, selling you know or this you know Mega Mini uh, MPI and stuff here. He just cranks on you know a dozen or so of those out a week, plus everything else he's working on, and and then writes software too to show off like his sound cards and stuff. So I don't know how the heck he does it all. And we believe he has a day job also. Yeah, so rumor has it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Curtis, do we have anything else? Nope, that was my last story. And, that, and that com with the stories, that completes everything you got your, on your rundown, right? Yeah. Okay. Does anybody else have anything quick to interject for the Coco community? Uh, Andre himself said he's, uh, thanks for the mention, he's still trying to get the sync issues identified and hopefully resolved. Good, good. I would All like right. to interject well, if possible. What's that, David? Oh, I'd like to interject if possible. I would like to say thank you to everyone that was in the community that was able to make Coco Fest this year. It certainly was great to see everyone yes. that made. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, how many of you out there polished the bald head of David? <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't let me close close to him. I, I did it, but I did it on the elevator before the doors were open for the public, so nobody got to see it. Oh, okay. <laughs> we promised not to talk about that, Curtis. Rob David for luck. <laughs> yeah, and it worked. I mean, they had the elevator doors open within 30 minutes, 45 minutes. So, Although it was getting very hot in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, with all the tools <laughs> you guys had. either, David. Um, so with all the tools just... you guys had in the elevator, you couldn't open the doors? No, we were stuck between floors, so. Yeah, just hopefully nobody was using the elevator to go to the bathroom. Or else you'd be going to the bathroom in there. Um, no no comments. <laughs> Steve, and that'd be like the pea corner in the Orville. I was going to say the Orville reference, the pea corner. Pea corner. <laughs> oh, who's got to clean the pea corner? Excellent show, by the way. If you're not watching it, you should. Everyone was going to take David and push him up through the trap door in the top of the elevator. Actually, they never even offered that as an option. They were just saying, you know, just wait. Don't try to call through until they shut the power off just in case it's only kicked on and, you know, severed one of us in half or something. Well, that would have been a sight to see for sure. <laughs> Coco Fest Part 2. Yeah. <laughs> Coco Fest attendees, half off. <laughs> No. You can fresh. You're going to be able to move it to Canada one of these years. Yeah, whose entrails are these? <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I think we just go ahead and do the extra. Yep, I think so. Jump the shark. This yeah. concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. 
For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Consider supporting the show with the purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community and its cast and crew and contributors. Cocotalk is rocking the 8 bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Cocotalk is rocking the 8 bit world. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Morentes, Ron Delvaux, Rick Adams, Jason Reichert, Richard Larbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Reichert, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Steggy, John Strong, and many more, especially Steve Bjork for his production suggestions. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its contributors. The Coco Crew Podcast at CocoCrew.org. Glenside Color Computer Club, host of Coco Fest at GlensideCCC.com. Retro Innovations at Go, the number four, Retro.com. Tandy Assembly at TandyAssembly.com. Voice on Technologies at B-O-Y-S-O-N Tech.com. Get your own switcheroo and wallaby cable at CocoMan.biz. Cloud9 Technologies at Cloud, the number nine, Tech. Com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mix, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. There's a lack of Coco stuff behind me in that last clip. It's amazing how much it's changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, okay, thank you all for the live. show. Yeah, we're still Stevie live. will appreciate it. Oh, okay. Yeah, thanks for everybody coming out and joining us on the show here. And It's good when we can give Stevie a day off and not have to worry about putting the show together. And I have a couple things to share when we're no longer live. Let me know. Okay, so uh, bye-bye. Thanks. Everybody wait. Thanks bye-bye. Thanks, York. Thanks, Curtis. Uh, and thanks, Mark. Push the button, yeah. Frank. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.